Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Midfest in Spavanaugh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Okay, we're in the northeastern part of Oklahoma where it's just starting to turn colors and it's getting to be bare, be beautiful. Now, today is the day because today is the day of today. All right, this is what happened. I just had Jacob Hornberger of Future of Freedom Foundation that's running for Presidente of the Libertarian Party nomination. And he's a hardcore, no compromise, libertarian kind of guy, but he's running for political office and wants you to vote and stuff. So then we follow that up with Larkin Rose is like, Really? You know? So it's an interesting day. You get a full dose of the spectrum here on, you know, the libertarian view up. Now, so I would go to Larkin and I'd say, are you a libertarian? Small L libertarian? Libertarian? Anarchist? Leave me leave me alonist? Uh, voluntarist? Ist? Somethingist? We're going to find out. Now, to advocate, you know, for his position, he did this. There's a movie. I got to see it when it first came out and premiered in, at an Arcapoco early in the year, The Jones Plantation. Now, Larkin had done a short story that kind of described this as a little, you know, it was illustrated and he had, you know, wanted to make sure he got his mind on paper and you get to know his position on this. But he spent decades being an outspoken proponent of the principles of self-ownership, non-aggression, and a stateless society. An author of several books, including The Most Dangerous Superstition, uh, which is government, by the way, FYI, uh, The Iron Web, which was kind of, um, um, it had like a logo with nine tile cell interactive kind of, you know, it's a, a voluntarist, leave me alone, voluntary association, a group of demonstrating how that would work, what oppositions to it was. It's just he wanted to get in his mind in a book. Well, The Iron Web was very interesting. And the primary screenwriter of the recently released Jones Plantation film. Larkin has produced hundreds of videos and articles and given dozens of talks dissecting and exposing the irrational and destructive nature of the belief in political authority. That is the main thing. He challenging your 
He's challenging your belief that there has, but who will build the roads? Who will build the roads? All right. All right. Add to that intro, Larkin, you know, what we need for people to know what you's about, you know, and uh, your answer to who's going to build the roads. That's the first thing. Got to build the roads, man. You know? Me, as it happens, I was just up north building a road. <laughs> Literally. I know. And I got to go to Arizona and be road building SOB. Watch me. You know, it's just <laughs> same people building roads now, the ones that need them, you know? So this is, um, uh, that's always the one they throw out. But this is uh, why today is a good day. I'll turn it over to you and you can tell me about Jones Plantation. But I want to build up to that. I mean, you know, there's other, you've written other books that kind of espouse this concept, but you want to get more fundamental. You know, that we're just slaves on a plantation. And anyone that's actually read the Constitution, there's a Declaration of Independence, rocks, why this show is Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. And the Bill of Rights, which was, eh, we don't trust you. We need a 10 thou shalt nots of government on this Constitution thing. But then, you know, you, you got the bologna and the bologna sandwich between the Declaration and the Bill of Rights. Eh, Constitution. The Constitution. Now, when we did, um, you know, one thing that was interesting, I want you know, just to show you we're in the right mindset. When we first started Freedom's Phoenix, there was a... A section in there that we did the about us thing, you know, about us, you know, who's us? What are we? What are we about? What are we? What are we going to do? So this is. See, let me pull this over, and I just read that first freaking paragraph, and here it goes. Would you like to know what Freedom's Phoenix is? This is two thousand and five. We recognize that freedom was taken from us the moment the ink was drying on the Constitution. Today's governmental structure is imploding under its own weight, and its death rattles aren't going to be pretty. At Freedom's Phoenix, we observe, comment, and try to stay out of the way. We know freedom will rise from the ashes, and we want to make sure that everyone's freedom is never signed away again by those who believe they have the power to do so. 2005. So what is that? 18 years ago or something? No. That that was a long time ago, okay? So this has been, you know, we understood. Now, when Lorcan came out and articulated this, you know, philosophy, you know, a great deal, I'm going, ooh, one less thing I got to do. I love this one less thing I got to do thing. So what happened was, when you have been involved in Libertarian Party politics and so on, you start to realize not about all libertarians are like that. They just see another party political apparatus of making money of doing kind of being on TV and maybe your mother-in-law talk to you or something. I, mean, I, I have no idea what the heck's going on, but there have been hardcore, hardcore people in there. But, you know, probably the best representation for my flavor has been Jacob Hornberger you know, from the Future of Freedom Foundation. He's been like, you know, advocating hardcore all this time. But, Running in a party, well, you think you're going to get the most votes? It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. Now, Larkin is kind of the same way, but he's against, you know, all your freaking houses, man. Just, you know, done. I'm for the individual. And that was what drew me to the libertarians, drew me to, you know, like uh, Thomas Jefferson philosophical writings, drew me to, you know, libertarian party platform, a statement of principles. What what drove me towards this philosophy was came from out of the blue. I just read in the late 80s the Declaration, Constitution, Bill of Rights, and then got real politic dealing with economics of help my father's company or whatever. And I'm going, these guys are a bunch of lion sacks of snot. They have taken over whatever the promise was is gone, gone, gone. 
Who are the people that understand what's happening? Well, a lot of people did, but they usually have their, you know, right wing of America and God family and flag and all this other crap. And I'm going, no, it's not about, that's just, that's how they enslave you. That's the most dangerous superstition, you know, crap there. What is the real fundamental role of government? Well, that's why it's the Declaration has such a, you know, uh, place in my heart, heart, heart. Now, what happened was they articulated that the proper role of government is the defense of individual rights. When it doesn't do that, it's time to alter or abolish. It's your right, your duty. Boom! Sign my crap up. Boom! You know, what's the proper role of government? They're to defend my individual rights against aggression, foreign, domestic, all, all that flowery libertarian stuff. And I'm going, okay. Well, they're not doing that. You know, they're the violator of. What what the what the crap? So that's the advocacy. That's the promise that they broke. So now what? I don't know. But first you gotta understand that we're all on the Jones plantation, which is what Larkin did and advocated and did a movie. Now it started off as a short story illustrated and I wanna you know, real quick, I wanna get into the philosophy and so on, but the making of the movie, I saw a, I guess it was a documentary or it was like the after director's cut or something like that of how this came to be. And in less than an hour, you know, as quickly as you can, highlight how this movie came to pass. You started with your philosophy that was born of your opposition to government tyranny on taxes and a bunch of other crap. And then it evolved to this. And then somebody with the ability to make a movie said, Larkin, we should make a movie out of that. And you go, okay, you know, so tell me how that happened, Larkin. <laughs> well, you pretty much described how it happened. I'll slightly flesh that out a bit. The The animated version, the little, uh, hardly even counts as animated. It's just like still illustrations. And um, that was, what, 10 years ago or something. And the, uh, that was one example of many videos I've done where it's basically trying to find a way to use analogy to illustrate just some basic concepts to humanity, because uh, often it seems to me that that works better than trying to just describe to somebody. First of all, political philosophy makes most people's eyes glaze over um, if they can even comprehend what, what you're talking about. But if you put it in a different setting, like in a different time, in a different place, and then you illustrate, this shouldn't happen. This is what human beings shouldn't go along with. Anybody can look at that and go, yeah, that would be horrible. That's bad. And then the hope is they notice in their day-to-day -day lives, oh, this is the same thing. We're doing the same thing. So uh, years back at Anarchapulco, Andrew Treglia, who's the director of the movie, he was interviewing me about a completely different thing. And in our discussions back and forth, um, I mentioned my little animated version of Jones Plantation um, because that exact point came up of, of basically deceiving people into the, to, to the point where they don't recognize that you're still under the control of somebody else. Somebody else is deciding how much of the fruits of your labor that they're going to let you keep. Well, if it's somebody else's decision that by definition makes you a slave, and if they let you keep more, you're still a slave. They're just a slightly nicer master. But the difference between that and it's your decision is a fundamental one. 
So this little animated thing demonstrated that, and it was actually Andrew's idea. Uh, then later he watched the the little animated thing because it the, it came up in our conversation, and then it was his idea first to make a short out of it, and then about two seconds later I said it's not going to fit in a short. I don't yeah. even know if I can fit it in a feature film because that setting on a slave plantation gives so much room to explore so many different things in a setting that doesn't immediately scare people away because to them, oh, it's just a fictional story about a thing that happened some other time, some other place. So they don't have to feel like existentially threatened. It's not you telling them that their government is totally evil and insane and that when they vote for it, they're enabling the worst people in the world um, and all that fun stuff. You can just tell them a story, a, a fictional kind of fictional, more or less fictional story and then they can put two and two together and you know see how much they recognize is still happening today and so it went from i I think we had the idea of or he had the idea of making it a short and that lasted for about eight seconds and then i immediately dove into writing the screenplay and uh, it was really fast when the first draft came out and he was like, that's awesome. Now make it an hour shorter because it already would have been like a three hour movie because um, there's so much stuff you can you can pack into that. And so whittled it down, whittled it down to like the normal, <laughs> the length of a normal movie. Um, and the the process along the way of deciding how many different things we can cover, like normally with a lot of movies, you can tell they're trying to pad the runtime. It's like, well, we had a good idea, but it didn't really fit. You know, it didn't fill up an hour and a half or whatever. So we're going to have a few boring scenes that <laughs> serve no purpose except make it long enough to be yeah. a movie. Um, in our case, it was more like, how do we whittle it down? Like, And to me, that was a slightly painful process because there's lots of like subplots that make points that I was like, but I wanted this to be included and I wanted that to be included. So there's actually a novel too that's that's being printed as we speak that puts back in all the things that don't fit in the movie and so i think the movie is exactly what the movie should be and the novel is exactly what the novel should be and they do different things and they serve different purposes um but what andrew was able to make because he he's a director i'm not a director i don't know what i'm doing um so i could okay i want to ask you that real quick when you have a you know, someone approaches, they want to make a movie out of this, and you're, like, going to have to try and, you know, uh, I don't know, shoehorn all the Larkin into freaking movie, good luck. I think you did a really good job. And the visual aspect and the acting was awesome. This was a really good film. This uh, Were you surprised at the quality of the production? Yeah, especially given the budget we had or didn't have like our our budget was literally what most big hollywood movies spend on the catering bill <laughs> right so <laughs> so when it. you did this and the, the director comes out and he says all right yeah i can do it i get it i i have you know let's go kick ass um did you feel that he was trying to be true what, what was the challenge between the director and what can be put on film and the screenwriter you know, and what has to be in the film, how much conflict was there? Where was, who was accommodating who? That Well, he's the director. So he, 
he he's the master. I must bow to him. Right. Like when you're making a movie, somebody's in charge. Somebody in has charge. To have the Damn it. Say. I'm freaking Spielberg. Get over it. All right. I get it. <laughs> exactly. So there were there were sort of conflicts about how certain things are being done and what has to be cut and what what's going to stay and things like that. But there was never conflict about the the message. And that was the thing early on that, like, I'm not letting anyone anywhere near such a project unless I know they're all the way on board with the, how the did message you know that? to say. One, you met him at Anarchapoco, so that kind of helped. Yeah. But then, you know, um, has he been a fan? He read your stuff before? He understood? He was already wanting to, you know, how did that relationship develop into a freaking movie like right away? Yeah, he di- he didn't know much about me. Um, he didn't interview. I'm not sure. He probably knew next to nothing about me before that. Um, and then I showed him some videos, and he watched a whole bunch of mine because I have eight million videos on <laughs> YouTube. And then we started having meetings at secret locations in Phoenix, some random warehouse that that he had access to, and started throwing ideas back and forth of of what to do about the movie, um, and. It's funny because early on he knew some things that were going to be true about the movie that that at the time I was like, what are you talking about? Because I was sort of picturing it as just a, a drama, a period piece that makes the same points. But he was saying there's going to be things in this that are funny. And I was like, what? what funny? What are you talking about? And he was totally right. And the what he managed to do with it, I think, is a lot better and a lot more impactful especially for like today's audiences that don't have that much of an attention span and stuff. It isn't just period piece, boring drama thing. It's this weird sort of cult classic feel. And there are things in it that are funny in like dark and demented ways. Not, it's not a comedy. Um, But there were a number of things that early on his vision of what it was going to look like and how it was going to come across, I didn't fully get, but I had already decided, well, you're the director. So if this is going to happen, like at the end of the day, you get the ultimate say. Well, give me, give me an example of that. What what was something that you didn't see until after and you go, okay. And what, what, give me an example. Like he, and he would even like when we're going through the script and, and like I'd write a, a rough draft and we'll go through stuff. And after a while we did read throughs. Um, and he was saying, yeah, this thing is going to be funny. And he, Oh, uh, I'm being careful not to do spoilers, but he did the first time he mentioned breaking the fourth wall. I was like, Oh, I completely hate that idea. I resent that idea with every bone in my body. Um, and now I love it. And I, so when, I think was, when did that the fourth wall is when you actually look at the camera to the audience and that was Smith or something or he went and said when did that yeah. happen Smith near the beginning and then Jones near the end um, and then something that sort of almost counts as that in the middle two commercials which was another one when the first time he said something about commercials I was like what are you talking about. And then I saw them and it was like, that was brilliant. And, and like at that point in the movie, like almost everybody bursts out laughing because they recognize the truth and the ridiculousness of it. At the of same what? Time. What, what, what? I don't remember that part. What are you talking about? The, oh no, you don't remember the, the political commercials that just, 
in the middle oh, of the movie. There's suddenly- oh, 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 oh. When they're running the head, you'll vote for me because I'm... Okay, okay, okay. Right, yeah, right. But that there's was appropriate. I didn't feel like Johnson. that you know, broke anything other than they were campaigning to the audience. You know, Yeah, but, and it fit in perfectly. It's I just one so. of those weird things that when he first said it, I was like, what are you talking about? You put a commercial in the middle of our well, movie. Well, that was the whole point of the whole movie was that that's what's yeah. going on. Yeah, and so it came across perfectly. But yep. that's one of the things that, like, he could picture in his head, like before I could. And so I was <laughs> when I first heard it, I was like, "What are you talking?" Same thing with the fourth wall breaking the fourth wall. I was like, eh, "I don't like it." And now I actually like that. Both well, yeah, I thought it was well done. Second. The this is the one thing that I I I wanted to make sure the audience got one JonesPlantationFilm.com. But you can go see it. Uh, where? How, how can people see it? They got to pay? Is it free somewhere? Is it pirated? You know, like I could soon do. I mean, you know, what, what are you looking for? Is it Netflix? No, probably not. Is it Prime? Yeah, probably not. Is it? Uh, um, I have no idea. Where is this going to be distributed? It is, like you said, it's currently on uh, jonesplantationfilm.com. Um, we are in the process of working out a deal to have it on a streaming platform. Um not the ones you've heard of, but a but a startup one that's uh, basically focused on pro freedom stuff. Um, we think that deal is going to go through. In which case, people can actually watch it for free. Yeah, they got a channel a on Roku. If I add to my smart TV, if I'm allowed, it's uh, it's their own website. I don't even know the technicalities. I suck at that stuff. Well, um, can you watch it on your site now? I mean, I'm on the site here. You know what's up. You have to you have to pay ten bucks to watch it on our site, which you should. Ten bucks, because, holy ten, crap. bucks ten bucks, <laughs> ten bucks. It's worth definitely worth ten bucks. Do you get it? Is it just a rental or is it yours? Then you then you have it there, and you can you can go in and sign it and watch it as many times as you want. And you can go back in and you know show ten other bucks. people and stuff like that. Ten bucks. The DVD is in the works as we speak and just about finished um, because I know there are people. Like me, even that that like having the physical, actual thing. Yep. Um, to keep in treasure always. So that's about to come out, and then it's about. Um, we think the deal's about to go through to have it on a streaming service where people can actually watch it for free, and that's a big thing. That like in the freedom movement, there's always this big argument about like I don't believe in the concept of intellectual property. And some people, like, jump into the notion that everybody is entitled to watch anything anybody ever produces, and it's somehow evil if you try to make money off of it at all. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya Protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. 
Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. This hour, Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Let's talk about your positive experiences using Dash. Dash has transaction fees that are less than one cent. Dash transactions are instant, irreversible, and are protected from 51% attacks by its chain locks technology. Dash is the world's first decentralized autonomous organization. BitRefill allows for discounted purchases at national retailers. We want to thank Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use. Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Roads? It's the Ernest Hancock Show. Where we're going, there aren't any roads. Welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We're continuing our conversation with Larkin Rose. He's an anarchist author, uh, now a movie maker, and he's just been very influential in the liberty movement to give rhetoric and define and verbiage and thought to how government has gotten way out of the box and how we should be thinking about the role of government and if there should be any role in our lives. This thought process has generated itself into, finally, a movie called The Jones Plantation, which just uses American slavery as a mechanism to show that we're all slaves. Enjoy. We think the deal's about to go through to have it on a streaming service where people can actually watch it for free. And that's a big thing that, like, in the freedom movement, there's always this big argument about, like, I don't believe in the concept of intellectual property. And some people, like, jump into the notion that everybody is entitled to watch anything anybody ever produces. And it's somehow evil if you try to make money off of it at all. Or put it behind a paywall. No, have, wall. A, have an so opportunity that... to pay you for doing it. It's fine, but if somebody you know copied it, put it on IPFS, and you know did the hash, you're probably not going to sue them. I mean, you know, you know, are you going to sue for intellectual property rights? Huh? Are you? No, no, I'm not using the violence of government to do that. Um, and but it's still to me, and I did I did a show with like Patrick Smith talking about this and and Kinsella and having that fun debate. Where it's, we agree on the general principle, I just think there's this weird thing among a lot of of pro-freedom people that's sort of leaning in the direction of commie mentality that they should be entitled to the results of what anybody produces anywhere. So they're like, well, if you really cared about the message, you would give it away for free. Like, well, why isn't it that if you cared about the message, you'd spend 10 bucks, which took a ridiculous amount of effort to make? Um. But I think pretty soon it's going to be streaming for free anyway, and people will find some other thing to complain well, about. Yeah, I don't mind you trying to make money on it, knock yourself out. But if I get it and save it and post it and IPFS it and whatever, I'm very interested in if Larkin is going to have the FBI come after me for a copyright violation. Do you have Do you have up there all rights reserved copyright? Some bitch, the FBI going to come get you? <laughs> 
We won't sick the government on anybody. But um, does it have on, it on the film? On most... I don't even know. I don't know if it probably has the, the normal copyright just so other people can't copyright it themselves. Um, I, I didn't pay attention. Um, on my book, Most Dangerous Superstition, I actually put a note about the copyright and why I put it there just so nobody else can can claim to copyright it. Um, it it's probably in there because that's sort of standard, but that doesn't mean we're sending thugs after people. I don't think we have the threat of we're going to come beat you up. <laughs> we don't have an FBI warning on it. I know that much. Um, Cause screw that. Yeah, no, that would but, be counter to the whole damn thing. You know, this yeah, is- <laughs> yeah, but there are like a lot of platforms. They say, don't post stuff here that, that you didn't make and isn't yours to make. And so when people do that, like if it gets taken down, well, you you violated your own agreement with the platform that said don't freaking do that. Um, but yeah, not sending armed thugs to beat anybody up. And it, it's to me the most obnoxious thing. And I know like Andrew and I are on the same page about this. If somebody like finds a way to watch it without paying, like even before we set that up, okay, whatever. But when they grab it and they post it on their site and go, look at me, it's just kind of obnoxious. And like that, that's there's a difference between that justifies a violent response, which it doesn't. And you're being an obnoxious jerk. And I think some people just sort of do that. Like if if somebody else made something and they don't want me sharing it, I won't share it. Like, how difficult is that? And it doesn't mean that they have the right to, like, hunt me down. <laughs> send the SWAT team after me if I do, but still it's so there's so much in the movement that I think is sort of this weird counterproductive crabs in a bucket thing. Whenever anybody tries to produce anything and oddly it seems to never be the people who are actually all that productive, who are the ones trying to tear it down and, and give it away for free and complain about anybody charging for anything it's like, okay, if you ever took the time to produce something of, like, actual quality, then you might see, yeah, it isn't super evil to try to make a few bucks off of something. And it's already being torrented, and it's, you know, that's, of course, we knew that was going to happen, and that's just going to happen, and it did. Um, and it sounds like we're about to stick it up for free on streaming anyway on the this particular service. Um, I think that deal's about to go through. Um but it's yeah, it's kind of frustrating and annoying how how counterproductive a lot of the freedom movement is. Like instead of bothering to produce stuff or or help spread stuff, they're just waiting around to complain about somebody else like trying to be successful. There's this weird like resentment of even the attempt to be successful, which I mean, <laughs> it's you know, Ernie, I suck at being financially successful. Like I've done the vast majority of what I've done, I, I do it for free and I undercharge and everything. And um, so especially when people come to me and like, if you really believed, I'll just shut up. I've been doing for this for 27 years and about 99% of what I've done has always been given away for free. So don't whine at me if we like charge a few bucks for a thing. Um, and now it sounds like we're not even going to do that. It sounds like we're going to stick it on a streaming server. Well, this is, you know, um, they have their own life. I mean, you know, you just listen to, you know, yogurt, you know, uh, merchandising where the money's really made, you know? So I see you sporting a t-shirt there. Have you, you know, sold a bunch of merchandise? Do I get my t-shirt? I mean, what's up? 
Um, yeah, the jonesplantationfilm.com website also has the the t-shirts, this fabulous thing. Um, we actually paid a bunch of money to have a guy named Sean Danconia, who's this like internationally known poster maker, make this thing. And you can also buy the poster there. And it's so detailed, like you can't nearly tell from this resolution. There's a million little hidden things on the on the poster and so also on the shirt. And like I said, there will soon be DVDs. You can get hats. You can get the Jones Plantation flag um, if you want to show the world that you acknowledge that you're on the Jones Plantation. Um, So there's a bunch of that fun stuff on the on the website too, JonesPlantationFilm.com. And I'm sure people will do (laughs) will do you know make their own bootleg copies of that too. See if you're lucky. I, oh my God, man! I can't believe I got to do this with Lorcan. All right, when um, Freedom to Fascism, Aaron Russo did Freedom to Fascism, America from Freedom to Fascism, um, we got a three eleven stack duplicators that we could make three to five hundred DVDs an hour. So we got hundred, got a couple of hundred thousand uh, CDs or DVDs. Uh, donated to us. So they were uh, regular DVDs. They're like four and a half gig or something like that. We would compress and put, I don't know, six, seven movies on there. I mean, it'd be like Freedom to Fascism would be the primary. And then we'd have, you know, like 9-11 stuff and Ron Paul stuff and all kinds of stuff. And we physically distributed almost 200,000 of these all over. Aaron Russo is on my butt. He goes, hey, man, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. And I go, ah, sue me. Okay, we'll get more, you know, freaking coverage for you suing me. And I'm saying, I'm telling you, this is helping you. Don't worry. He goes, well, you can't. Can I go, yeah, I can. Watch me. So he'd come on the show and he'd complain about it, whatever. Because he um, released that at uh, Arizona Libertarian party convention. You know what I mean? He was there talking about it and we were helping with it and promoting whatever. So then, and that was after he lost the presidential nomination in 04. Well, because he lost, he didn't get to express himself fully. He made the movie. So he's like thankful that didn't happen because he wanted to, because he, at the last minute, he went environmental and it pissed off everybody and he lost. So (laughs) what happened was he gets freedom to fascism and it was so timely and it had Ron Paul in it, you know, that he was like, hey man, you know, don't steal government hates competition, you know, that kind of thing. So when we um, started copying that, it all of a sudden, it just blew up his site, you know, because it had Ron Paul in it. We're doing the Levolution thing. It gets out there. People started to understand what's up. He did a good job of introducing people to the IRS sucks and kind of whatever. So when we did that, all of a sudden, he got really busy. Then, because of that, and Gary Franchi and his, you know, Restore the Republic stuff that he was doing kind of came out of that. He was working with Aaron. And I remember I talked to Aaron about two weeks before he died when uh, Ron Paul that summer was in Iowa. And he was speaking at the Transcendental Meditation School of the Jackson County of whatever the hell it was out of Mayberry RFD freaking gazebo in the middle of town park thing and they're all going on about the fed and the fed and the fed and he was there to talk about you know medical marijuana or something so i called aaron and i go you in man they're doing in the fed thing in freaking middle of freaking iowa okay transcendental meditation home natural law party people are screaming in the fed i just want you to know that so he's like thanks for that you know and a couple weeks later he died 
Well, I was glad that he got that because up to that time, or even you know a little bit before that, he was kind of you know warming up to the idea, because we had so many copies of that movie out with a bunch of other stuff on it that he got busy. People were buying, you know, bunches of them to be able to distribute. They were sending people there. They were buying merchandise. They were getting to support that he did it. Once he realized that, he's like, okay, Ernie, but don't copy the director's cut. <laughs> and I go, all right, Aaron, I won't do the director's cut, you know, for you. I'll do you a solid, you know, seriously. <laughs> so this is where, you know, when people support this kind of thing, and it's something that they haven't had as a tool to be you know, one less thing they got to do, well, then that's where the the support comes from. That's where, you know, by doing a quality product, they want to support the effort. Now, I would imagine that since this is hadn't even been a year, you know, you had this just coming out. Um, what's the support? You know, what's it been? I don't know, eight, nine months or something since you premiered it. So in a ocean of their media is not covering it. Okay, just FYI, you know, that you do that. What kind of support are you getting? What kind of people are offering? Hell, you had the director come out wanting to do it. So what has been the support for the film since you've done this and quit talking about copyright and crap? I don't care. So, Well, lots of people are, are talking about it all over the place and showing it to other people. It's basically been a word of mouth thing. Um, like Andrew actually threw in 20 grand of his own money to make it happen because the funding we did got wasn't really enough to even pull off what we pulled off. Um, so he's now gotten that back, but it's the thing is once there's a thing like this, it's not a, it's not a physical disc. It's going to be soon, but there's no DVD. It's sort of, you know, people are spreading it around all over the place. And now we're going to like help them do that for free with the, the streaming deal that's about to happen. Um, but it's, it, I think it literally doesn't occur to the vast majority of people, even if they like something, it occurs to some, but to the vast majority of them, they think, well, you did it, you made it, it already exists, whatever, let's spread around all over the place. It doesn't occur to them to do anything for the people who made it, to, to donate and stuff. And I know lots of people say, oh, just give it away for free and people will donate. In my experience, that doesn't happen. It, I mean, it happens some if somebody, if some people happen to be you know, aware enough and conscious enough and grateful enough that, oh, I'm glad somebody made this thing. I'm going to go donate. In my experience, most people don't do that. And I know other people have said, yeah, it totally works way better to do it that way. And it doesn't. So there hasn't really been that <laughs> after the fact, other than actual sales of the movie and, and merchandise and stuff. But it is, it, it is that balancing act of, well, we when it comes to the normal people of the world, which is they're the ones I really want to have see it and want to get their feedback and see what it, it's how it registers to them. And we've gotten some of that. Most of it's secondhand by like we know somebody who's a voluntarist and showed it to their family and stuff. And we've been getting lots of secondhand reports of, of how it strikes normal people. But they're a whole lot less likely to pay anything to watch something that not only do they not know anything about about it, but it's it's likely to make them slightly uncomfortable and or thought provoking is the nice term that's been coming up a lot from normal people who watch it and go, Whoa, I have to like process what I just watched. Um, but so for, for I've talked before about the challenge of trying to like 
about the worst financial model you could possibly have is what I usually do, which is make something that the the people already on my side don't need it and everybody else doesn't want it <laughs> because it's existentially disturbing to them. So it's sort of nobody wants to pay for it. Um, like if you make some, you know, entertaining movie that has no meaning and doesn't matter and you're a Hollywood studio and you can pile in tons of money. Lots of people go, rah, 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 that was cool, and they'll pay for it and have an entertaining time time and go home. Like, that's a lot easier to make lots of money than something that's actually going to disturb people. Now, in this case, I actually think the movie is really dang entertaining, and we've gotten really good responses from normal people, even though it makes them think and go, oh, I'm not entirely sure what to think about some of that. Um, but a lot of people really liked it who aren't voluntarists and aren't anarchists because they recognize the truth in it. And because it isn't trying to be preachy, it doesn't tell them what should be. It just shows them what is by way of an allegory. And almost everybody can recognize, yeah, that is kind of how things are. Um, and so it, it, it's weird that whenever you make, I mean, even even aside from the, the message and the philosophy, this is true in the music industry and is true in, in movies and a lot of other ways where if somebody makes something that's actually different, because, you know, like like Andrew likes to say, whether you like it or hate it, you've never seen anything like this before. This is its own weird thing. Um, and when somebody makes something genuinely different, often at the beginning, the critics all complain, um, which they haven't in our case, <laughs> haven't dared to say anything about. Um, but then it catches on because it's actually different, but it starts as an uphill battle. But like all the bands that, you know, we now still remember 50 years after they were huge, they're well known because they did something different. But at the beginning, usually people are like, what's this? This isn't what I was expecting. Um, and so I would rather make something that's different and takes a while to spread and catch on than just make the same old cookie cutter garbage that's <laughs> meaningless. But it's still that that's sort of an extra challenge. And so mostly we're relying on people to do the word of mouth thing, you know, pro freedom people who watch it and go, I'm going to like set up a little screening like on the 21st. Um, Amanda and I are going to be up in Denver because the the folks there we know, um, Liberty on the Rocks is putting on a little screening and we're going to be at it personally and stuff. And um, I should probably include the <laughs> details below, but that's just on the 21st. So a lot of people who see it want to do that and they want to spread it around. Um, but it doesn't seem to occur to most of them to like donate to us or anything. And which is fine. It's just sort of like it's already out there. They don't need to think about where it came from or, yeah, or the, the effort well, went into making it exist. You know, uh Etienne's doing a thing in Sedona and you're in Arizona now, you know, and we're coming back and I'll be um MC in that event. So you know, I'll see you as November 4th or something like that. It's the weekend after yeah. Halloween. And um, I told him I wouldn't be back until then. So we're going to go ahead and, you know, come up and kind of integrate ourselves back into Arizona IA because, you know, Arizona is as much a Jones plantation as anywhere else. And we're going to, you know, be yeah. getting some. So we still have, you know, the duplicators. I don't know if DVDs are a thing anymore, but... Uh, there is a a lot of opportunity for sharing this philosophy. And, you know, we're doing a thing with Corbett in Arizona. I'm going to be, you know, like um, 
Richard Grove has a domain, opensourceeducation.com or something we might do. And we'll have, you know, uh, Corbett is going to do an intro. We have QR codes. The same thing we did with Stop Wars, Home Educate, when we had, you know, Darth Vader wearing Uncle Sam top hat, Uncle Vader, you know. And uh, so we're going to do a campaign between now and Christmas. When I get back, it's kind of, I'm back. Don't piss me off, you know, that kind of thing. So when we come back and do that, you know, this Jones Plantation, that could easily be a part of something we do and something, something, because it's just the information. You watch a a few Corbett documentaries, Jones Plantation, you know, uh, uh, if you got to vote, you know, maybe Hornberger explain it to you. We're all hardcore, no compromise. It's always, it's always, it's always Arizona, man. It's always been Arizona. Well, Larkin's back in Arizona, so we're going to go do some ass whipping. When they say, you'll own nothing and here's your happy shot, I know what they mean. They don't want you on the land. They don't want you self-sustaining. They don't want you growing your own food, educating your own kids, building your own house. They, they're, you're not allowed to be self-sustaining because then we can't control you. We need to get you on the, on the, on the plantation, you know? So this is, it's so right in line. It's it just, all this stuff converges. But the, the one thing about the movie itself, you know, it, it really, I want you to go into what it depicts, what it's about, what it's showing. And then I want to get into the actual, the actors and the people involved. Because I think everybody did a fantastic job. How the hell did you bring this together? And these guys, every one of the characters, you know, was just, I'm going, this was a, you know, big production rolling, you know, sliding camera doing kind of lighted freaking set and the plantation, a real plantation. That looks like a plantation. I don't know what the heck, but you know, talk about, I mean, this thing came together and, and, and you don't believe in God. I think God was smiling on you. I think he is hepping. He's happened just a little bit, you know, a little bit. So go ahead and tell us what you're trying to depict. What was the film about? Why a plantation? What were you trying to say? The premise is the same as the the premise of the little animated thing I did ages ago, which is there's a slave plantation in the antebellum South. Only the slaves are sort of getting uppity and are less productive and are sort of causing trouble. And then the slave owner, Mr. Jones Here's tell of a consultant of sorts, Mr. Smith, who what he does is go around helping slave owners to better manage and get the most productivity out of their slaves. And so the the Jones Plantation at the beginning of the movie is actually sort of failing and it's they're losing money and the the wife's all stressed out about it. Um, And but Jones is saying how he heard tell of of this guy, Mr. Smith of one of the neighboring plantation owners. Like he did wonders for him. So we're going to see what he has to say. And so Mr. Smith comes in and basically the, the the short version is he he describes to Mr. Jones how, well, you can either do it the old way where it's just brute force, do what we say or, or we hurt you, or you can figure out and learn how to control their minds with various manipulations and deceptions, and it goes through one thing after another. It starts by telling them they're free, which, of course, they're not. But if they think they are, and then you build this framework where they think, well, we can't leave because of this, and we have to do this, and somebody has to be in charge. And so basically, you you change the words you're using to describe the same situation to make 
the slaves feel like workers make them think they consented to it, make them think they're in charge. And it goes through a bunch of different versions of that. It, it even gets into the, like they create a currency and they have an election for who's going to manage the, the plantation. And from, you get the, the vantage point from the workers seeing Mr. Smith come out and explain, first of all, telling them we're all free and then explain, here's how things are going to work. But in the unlike in the the original animated one in the movie, you get the behind the scenes thing of what Smith and Jones and then Mr. Johnson later on, what they're talking about. Insatiable desire for freedom. We have been enslaved for all our lives. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Let us make them remember. We are not Independence of me, Ernest Hancock. We're continuing our conversation in the second hour with Larkin Rose, author of The Most Dangerous Superstition. Good. And he also did a short story that has been made into a full-length movie. This is a feature movie. It's very, very, very nice, well done, called The Jones Plantation. Give it a listen. This is interesting and a good tool for you to use. And in the movie, you get the behind the scenes thing of what Smith and Jones and then Mr. Johnson later on, what they're talking about, because they, they describe because Jones kind of takes a while to, to figure out what's going on. He's like, why did we do this? And Smith has to keep explaining to him, because if you do that, you know, here's how a human being reacts. And if you do it this way, they know that they're being oppressed and abused. And so they run away or they rise up or. Or they do something nasty to you, but if you do it this way and you frame it this way, and oh, one of the things early on that that Smith points out is that like almost all he's doing is just changing their perceptions by saying words, and that's all. Like nothing else changed, and he has to explain that even to Mister Jones because he's used the old school version of of slavery where it's just I'm going to hurt you, 
if you don't go and pick my cotton for me. Um, and and yeah, and, and you you played one of the overseers, man. You you were that, and they and they kept. Oh, this is awesome! This is awesome. They kept Larkin. Shut up! He didn't have any speaking parts. I don't. know. Did you even say a word in the whole thing? No, no. My job was just to glare at people. I was a uh, Irish indentured servant in the background, and all I did was give people dirty looks the whole time. But that was fun. Yeah, no, 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 no. You know, one thing you were talking about during the uh, process of filming, you know, you would have rewrites or you got to do the next day's script and you got to, I mean, there was a lot of work. How long were you actually on location? The shoot was only two and a half weeks for the whole thing. Um, first, we shot the interiors at, at one huge plantation house. And then we we had the same sort of headquarters the whole time. But for the uh, for the exteriors, we, it's like a half hour drive to drive across the river. Um, and at a different place that was an actual slave plantation before um, in Faraday. And yeah, I always have to think it's Natchez, Mississippi and Faraday, Louisiana. Um, and uh I wouldn't entirely say God was smiling on us during the outdoor shoots because it was Mississippi and it was like 20 degrees and drizzling the whole time. <laughs> so, which you can't tell from watching the thing, but yeah, it was, it was a little painful, but yeah, th- to do the entire shoot. So not only did we do the entire shoot in two and a half weeks, the cr- the cast and crew had never met before they showed up on set that I'd never met most of the actors. Uh, Andrew found them by way of, he has connections. Well, were they sad, you know, union non-strike actors? Well, that's the funny thing is because early on the, the screen actors guild had just dropped their long list of stupid, like COVID restrictions. You have to do this. Everybody has to wear a mask and get tested every five seconds. And they're like, okay, we don't need to do that. And we were setting up and, and casting the thing. And they're like, nope, we're bringing that all back. And we, like, first of all, on principle, but also just for practical reasons, we said, well, we're not doing union because we can't we can't have one false positive test crash the whole thing. We yeah. don't have $100 million to, like, try again later. If it doesn't work that time, right then, right there. There is no movie. So we said, well, screw SCAG, screw the union. And we told people, like, because um, I think some of the actors are, are SAG members. And we said, like, we're not doing union. You can keep doing it. And I, I'm not even sure which people we had to replace and change out because that, that was all Andrew doing the casting um, with the connections he had, uh, like, especially in Atlanta area and stuff. Um, but we found a bunch of people who would do it anyway. Um, but yeah, we, they, they forced us to say we're not doing union because we can't nearly afford to risk that. If there's one dumb little whiff of something, Oh, this, this person sneezed wrong. That's the end of the movie. All the money's gone. We can't do anything ever again. Cause it was, there were so many little miracles that happened. Like the last, we didn't shoot the whole thing in chronological order. Um, but the last scene was shot on the last day and the sun was going down. And the actors had their plane tickets to fly home the next morning. So it's like, well, if we're going to have a movie. We have to shoot it right stinking now. And the sun's going down right stinking now. And so there were a lot of of just frantic rushes to, to make things work and changing things on the fly and doing scene rewrites like every night 
because things come up and that's not going to fit. And we have to shorten this and we have to chuck that entirely, which means we have to rewrite this and this and this, because they all refer to the thing that, that doesn't happen anymore. And so I love the fact that just watching the movie, you, there's no indication of all the things that had to change and had to be cut or moved or altered. Um, and some of the, it's weird how this works. Some of my favorite parts were the result of like last minute panics. Like one of my favorite scenes is um, in the old 150 year old church or however old that thing is, is Mr. Jones coming in um, to give a talk of like, somebody was stealing around here. That scene, the guy who plays Mr. Jones and I, we wrote that on the drive over <laughs> from um, Natchez, Mississippi and he just delivered it flawlessly like three times in a row. The scene didn't exist. We had to, he wasn't even going to do that part. Part of the, uh, the message that was supposed to be was in a talk that Mr. Smith is supposed to be explaining to the workers, but we're like juggling things around and stuff. And was like, no, we can, we can have a way to make this be Mr. Jones's job to explain this part, but only if we do it this way. And so we went back and forth. So yeah, that, that scene didn't really exist until we made it to the set that morning. Um, and I love it. And his delivery of that is perfect. And that, that, that Yeah. That okay. Thing. Let's talk about the, the actors and the crew and so on to do something like this. You had probably, I mean, on screen actors and actresses had to be, I don't know, almost 20 or something. I mean, I, what was the number you think? Yeah, I think that's about right. I don't even know the exact number, but yeah, it's about 20. And if we had a huge budget, we could have had a more slave. It was enough. Worker. It was enough. It, it it did its thing. It was a small plantation thing. I, I, I'm yeah. sure there were many like that. Now, the actual, let me just ask a bunch of questions. The actual location, you know, the plantation that primarily, was that a real plantation, a museum or somebody's house or something? What was that? Both of them were um, the the indoor, the huge mansion that you see is in uh, Natchez, Mississippi. Oh, the funny thing is, I think they closed that for tours like three months after we shot. So we only just barely we were like the last thing able to shoot there. Um, but that was a place open to like tours and you could visit it and stuff. They closed just, permanently. To the public. Yeah. Oh, so somebody bought it and it's their house now or something. Yeah. And I, I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Do maybe they're opening a slave plantation. Uh, um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so we just barely got that. And then the other one, a uh, frog, Frogmore in Faraday, Louisiana, was the outdoor shoots. And there, we didn't really have an inside that there was a room we could be in with a heater that barely worked and a door that didn't really close. So, like, our nice, warm, comfortable place to hang out between shooting was like. 50 degrees maybe and crowded like a sardine can and then everything else is the external the the like the the big church where a lot of it is shot that has the podium originally again it's another thing that had to change that was going to be shot on the front porch of the house a lot of the meetings where smith is talking to the the workers and that changed to the church because that's was easier to control the lighting and the sound and stuff inside but that you could see through the walls of that church. So even though there was a heater in there, theoretically it wasn't doing any good because the wind would just. Okay, now that right church through. was on the location that was in Louisiana or Mississippi. That's the Louisiana one. And that, that, that church was on the grounds of that slave plantation. 
Um, this is, you know, I, how, how, who, who did the site selection? Is that like uh, one of the initials they have, the CSK, CSA, uh, you know, casting whatever <laughs> professional Hollywood people? I mean, who, who, who did this? That's what happens if you have money. <laughs> Since we didn't, that's Since one didn't. of eight million things that Andrew had to do himself. He went down south and he scouted a number of, of locations. And some were like, well, this place is really cool, but there's nowhere to shoot that stuff. So, um, and we were hoping to get one spot where we could do interiors and exteriors. Um, but what, what he came up with was pretty dang cool, which was they're only a half hour apart, even though it's across the river, one Mississippi and one Louisiana. Um, but he went and found them and was like, well, this will be perfect for the interiors. We like the fact that the big plantation house is kind of run down because that fits the plot of the movie of like the plantation is failing and they're losing money and stuff. So the, the, the shutters on the windows are, are slightly falling apart. And so he really liked that look because it's, if it's like a pristine plantation, it doesn't like, doesn't look like you're failing. Um, and then you just, you get the transitions back and forth to the, the church, which is, even though we were shooting inside, that was, that counted as part of the, the outdoor shoots because it was like 20 degrees inside the church. So that's one of the things where we're shooting on one side of the church and you have, you know, Mr. Smith and or Mr. Jones or whatever up on the front. There's a big pile of like winter coats just out of view. So everybody's getting ready and learning their lines like, okay, ready, go. And everybody piles their coats and runs over. So what time of year was this? I was winter, but even winter in Mississippi isn't usually 20 degrees. Um, I actually forget the exact dates of when we were there. Yeah, global warming. Was... All right, so the uh, you know <laughs> you you have um, the actors all selected, and um, where did he get them from? How did it? He's got headshots of non-union found you at Dairy Queen. I mean, how did how did how did these people get selected? I don't even know. You'd have to ask him. He has connections, especially around Atlanta, like I said, to, to you know, the industry there. And he had a bunch of like video interviews of different people. There, there was a different guy who's going to be Mr. Smith. And we were both like, that's pretty good. But and then we saw the the video of Maurice Johnson, who plays Mr. Smith. And we're like, oh, that's perfect. That's the he looks familiar. Look has he been in things I might have seen? Um, He's been in he hasn't been in anything huge, but he's been in a number of things. Um, I don't remember offhand what what they were and whether I've seen. Well, them he's got or not. all right. This is the one thing I, you know. Just as an aside, when Atlas Shrug came out, the first one they had like you know they jerking around with the you know the dates and how they're in the, how long they had for their rights to make the film expired. And originally it was supposed to be Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. That was, that was going to be a big thing. And then that never came <laughs> and they, they don't want Alice Shrug made. That was obvious. So then the Alice society and friends and people and whatever, kind of like your film. All right, we got so many millions and we're going to do it right now. And they did it in like a month. I mean, you know, it was it was amazing. A lot of people they didn't like it. I liked it. The first one, the second, third one, the second Dagny looked like the first one's mom or something. But you know, it was um, uh, the first one. I thought was awesome. It got the the flavor of it right. It was you know, there's a lot of things that were. And of course, they want more and whatever. But the first one of the trilogy loved it, especially for how much money it didn't cost. And I thought it was, I mean, wow, this was amazing. But any and all of the actors that were in that, 
that did a great job? Oh, hell no. You're never going to work again. You did some freedom Ayn Rand Atlas Shrugged thing. You can't, man, and especially the agent better be uh, telling you if you go in for the second and third installment, man, we're going to kill you. I mean, or something. They did not like the fact that they, so. I'm wondering if the same thing happened with your film. You know, you got the lead actor, you know, the black actor that played, uh, you know, the, the, the enslaver guy, you know, the Jones Plantation. Was his name? No, he was Smith, right? Yeah, you know, Smith. So alias Smith and Jones. Anyway, so you had Smith, you know, being the guy that comes in, I'm going to fix your plantation for you, the new Jones Plantation, and you guys are part owners, you're stakeholders, and all this other BS. You know, I can see what was going to happen. So they get conned into, you know, supporting the government, and then we got those that don't go with it, we got to whip them. And, and it was amazing, the parallels of what's going on, which is the reason why you did it. So that actor... Is he first in line for some Hollywood production, is he? Huh? Huh? Is he? You know? You see my point? Yeah, but I don't think it'll be a similar thing because it doesn't... Because the movie tells a fictional story about what is and the, like, demented mindset of, of psychopaths and how they actually control people. It doesn't even say what should be. So, while I'm sure people will find reasons to complain yeah, about I mean, it, like, if... <laughs> If it gets big enough that, like, the mainstream critics are going to say anything, I'm sure there's going to be people throwing money at them to find something bad to say about it, whatever. But it it isn't, like, Ayn Rand has the Ayn Rand message in it. And the message of this isn't even, like, here's how things should be. It just shows here's how things definitely should not be, but are. And so I don't think, and that's one of the reasons why when Andrew came up with the idea, I thought this is by far the best video I've ever made to make into a movie because it sort of flies under the radar. And we've seen that too by by the responses we get from normal people who some of them are sort of troubled and a lot of them are like, that was really thought provoking. And, and, but like, what is there to be offended by unless you're literally... <laughs> like a slave plantation owner, in which case um, I'm okay with offending you because you're an evil psycho. But anybody else, like the most they could do is say, well, I don't really think that's what we have now. Okay. Well, it didn't really say it was, and you're allowed to think it isn't because it isn't really saying, like it doesn't explain voluntarism or anything like that. It's so, I think it's such a, impactful yet non-offensive way to do it because like what would somebody's complaint even be about the movie <laughs> like you made slave owners look bad it's like okay yeah <laughs> didn't really need us to do that but uh, i love the fact that it doesn't it doesn't have to be preachy at all about what should be it doesn't even say a word about what should be Except Samuel, like the one guy there who figures out something's horribly wrong here. And he explains a little bit about what's wrong, but he doesn't explain, no, I'm going to describe the utopia of mankind. It never gets to that. So there isn't, it would be really funny to watch somebody try to find some philosophical thing to complain about. Because other than saying, well, I don't think it's really that bad. Okay, you're allowed to think it isn't really that bad today. So... <laughs> Like, so I'm waiting to see what people try to be offended by because I can't even imagine what it would be. 
this has been a uh, an experience that we went through uh, at Anarchapoco. It was uh, shown there. And was that the first screening at Anarchapoco? Yeah, and that wasn't even quite finished. Um, the There were a number of things that weren't quite finished in that version of it, but that's the first time. It was sort of a test showing of what we had at the moment. I mean, it was the main thing. It was the... It was, you know, most of it, but there were a few little Yeah, I know you went all whining about, oh, it's not color corrected of the anal, you know, yeah. the title. I don't care. Anyway, so yeah. it looked awesome then. And then I think I saw it, you know, I might have been one of the guys that bought it online just because. But, you know, watch that. And, um, I yeah, I'd like to have uh, copies I'm going to, you know, buy from you or pirate if you're too slow and then you know go ahead and have everybody see it and that's one thing when people like it you better have something to share they're just freaking gonna you know we're libertarians man we just copy it better get on it you know yeah so damn but the um go ahead with our team and funding of almost nobody and almost nothing (laughs) going as fast as we can to get the dvd i am surprised at how inexpensively quickly and quality it came out and it was so and do you think you standing there literally on camera being all stoic larkin you know standing there kept it on track or andrew would have done it without you oh he was the director he did he didn't need me for any of that um because that's you know no i mean the philosophical thing i mean he embraced it yeah. No, he already he already understood. I never would have started if he didn't. Like if I wasn't sure, you know, even at those very early meetings at Random Warehouse in Phoenix, that he all the way understood the point of the the movie. I could have like completely disappeared at that point. And it's, I mean, there's little things I nitpicked about that I'm glad I did because I think it's a little bit better. But if I had just completely vanished after the rough draft, it would have been awesome anyway. Um, and so I didn't. There, there's only one time I yelled at him on set because like at the last second, I found out that like a really crucial plot point is like, we're not doing that. And again, I'm really glad that, that he chose that. Um, it, it has to do with, it doesn't count as a spoiler because it's not in the movie. Um, it's in the novel, but um, cause Mr. Jones um, that, that that's one of the few people in the cast who actually was already like, Volunteerist pro freedom guy. He has a, he has a podcast. Lee Goldman um, does the quash, which is awesome. Um, we had never met, but he he knew of me, and then we met, and you know, obviously, we we're on the same page to begin with. But the that character before we were on the set, we didn't realize what he was going to bring to that character, and he's he's such a memorable, lovable, hateable scumbag. The, the plantation in owner the original, guy. Yeah, in the original script, he does something like pretty damn bad and Samuel catches him in the act and then there's a, a scuffle and a fight and stuff. And it it was going in the direction pretty dang dark, as you can probably guess. And that got thrown out like the day before we were supposed to shoot it. Um, and it should have been because it's, there's a level where you're okay with laughing at a bad guy like Jones, who's like, he's, he owns people. He thinks that's okay, but there's still, he's sort of, it's okay to laugh at him, but there's a certain level of dark that if you go beyond that, we're not laughing anymore. We want to see you hurled into the nearest wood chipper. Yeah. It was like, um, was it kind of, you know, um, 
taking advantage of one of the young girls or something. Yes. You know, because yeah. I remember there was like, I think it was kind of, you know, he's kind of did the Biden hair sniffing thing or something, you know, yeah. that, yeah. that, that was, that that, yeah, yeah, so that was, that was, okay, I get it, you know, that was good enough, you know, I think The Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church. ShireSociety.com. Freedom's the answer. What's the question? You're listening to Ernest Hancock. This hour, Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Let's talk about your positive experiences using Dash. Dash has transaction fees that are less than one cent. Dash transactions are instant irreversible, and are protected from 51% attacks by its chain locks technology. Dash is the world's first decentralized autonomous organization. BitRefill allows for discounted purchases at national retailers. We want to thank Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use. Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Welcome back to Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We're continuing our conversation with Larkin Rose and the recently released movie, The Jones Plantation, educating us. Now we're all slaves. Because this is something that you, you you don't have to have this gratuitous whatever. I mean, sometimes, you know, but this is something that you could show to your preteen kids. This is actual, you know, history on many levels. You know, this is, uh, you know, something that's very interesting. So I'm I'm looking at, um, I'll take care of it, baby. Don't worry about it. So the uh, one thing that I wanted to make sure that um, people understood is how, philosophically eye-opening and paralleling of what we're living in, where you think we get the 14th, 13th, 14th Amendment, and, uh, yeah, we got an amendment, you're free now, and all they did was enslave all of us. You know, we were on a plantation with all the trappings of, and what they did is demonstrate in the movie how that happened psychologically. How prepared you for it? And that was one thing, because your previous books, Iron Web and The Most Dangerous Superstition, Government, you know, um, how did that happen? Well, this is how. 
You know, that, that's what you did. You had to get that out, you know, from all your experiences and your candles in the dark presentations and talking to people and, you know, you know, the, 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 it, the two little, the little dot, you know, videos that you've done and your mirror project, all this stuff that you've done has been just to, to really encapsulate how it happens psychologically in this one film. How many minutes is it? Um, I think the movie is like 110 and it feels short to me. And I've asked people and they said, it would feel like it was over an hour and a half to me. So, I mean, maybe it will to some people. Um, but yeah, we hacked it down to that. And this movie does something I've never seen before. Actually does a number of things I've never seen before. Like plenty of movies have villains in them, but they never match how villains actually happen in the real world. Like if you, and I've, you know, I've pointed this out a million times in other talks and stuff, if you look at the rise to power of the worst murderers in the history of the world, Mao and Stalin and Hitler. And yeah, I was getting list, voted. Yeah, we want that guy. Woo-hoo. Yeah. Oh. They were voted into power to like excited, happy cheers of adoring throngs. And most people have no stinking idea how that happens because most of the villains in Hollywood are these like obviously evil. I'm evil in doing evil things. Klaus Schwab guys. <laughs> Yeah, you don't. Yeah, only Klaus Schwab is dumb enough to actually like act that out. I know it's amazing. What? But the you don't get the real version of how evil comes to power, and in this you actually get it, where you you get the the kind of traumatic reality that the thing that powers evil in the real world is well intentioned people who get deceived. It isn't the bad people. Nazi Germany and Soviet Russia and Red China, the evil things that happened there weren't because the bad people got together to do bad things. It was because a tiny number of bad people got together and knew how to trick the good people into empowering them. And that's what this movie shows in a way that I've never seen anything else do before. And that's why one of the things I want people to, a lot of viewers to feel is unsure that they would have been on the right side. Because in in the average right. movie, it's easy for somebody to go, I would have been rooting for the underdog, and yay, we win. I want people to realize that if they were there and hearing what Smith was saying, they probably would have fallen for it, and they probably would have resented anybody saying, um, this is wrong, he's not really here to help us. Because that's all of human history, is well-intentioned, duped people cheering absolute sociopaths into unlimited power. Is there a happy ending at the end? Is there a, everybody understands and knows? Is there a happy ending? Did you give us a happy ending, well, Norkin? Well, it's funny because the, 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 the novel has more of a happy ending. There's only a tiny hint of the happy ending in the movie version. Um, but you get the, the full story in the, in the novel that, but very early on, um, I told Andrew and, and he immediately agreed at the time. It has to have a similar ending to the animated one where it isn't. And they all lived happily ever after because I want people left with the feeling of, oh, crap, we're still there. It wasn't resolved. It wasn't fixed. They weren't freed. We're still there. And I, the viewer, am probably part of the reason we're still there. And so it had to have that sort of traumatic ending. But we did... That was one of the subplots that had to be cut down and is is what happens to Sarah afterwards, which is Samuel's little sister. Um, in the novel, she she actually gets free. 
and she goes up north. You know, that's um, another thing. Let's talk about that. As you're doing the movie, you were writing the novel, right? Yeah, because in the in the middle of that and watching scenes, I was attached to Oh, you cut that import- bastard. I'm going to put it in a novel. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, that was therapeutic, and it was also exactly what should happen, because what he cut out of the movie should have been cut out of the movie. It's not that he did it wrong. It's that I'm used to writing books, and I don't like plots disappearing that I was attached to. So I'm like, well, they won't die. They'll just be in this book over here because you can fit a whole lot more into a book than you can fit into a movie. So all the things that that weren't fun at the time, I'm glad he did because they made the movie better as a movie. And I'm glad I made the book because in a book, there's a lot more you can do. Um, You can fit a lot more stuff in. So the the subplot of, of what happens to Sarah afterwards, that's in there. And... Little things like um, in the case of Jones basically attempting uh, assault on a kid that's that's in the novel and was going to be in the movie, but we're like, the, no, the Jones character is too, the, the character that Lee Gallman made is sort of too lovably hateable. We don't want it to go that dark. Um, but one of the things after that is Smith totally knows about it, and then he has leverage over Jones. And that's, you know, that's real world. <laughs> stuff is they have dirt on all the people who get anywhere near any real power so that if they step out of line it's like you know we can destroy you like tomorrow so even if somebody sort of acquires a conscience at some point they don't nearly dare you know that's why the epstein thing exists at all right so that the ones who really pull the strings have dirt on absolutely everybody who gets anywhere near power and so that was going to be in there, but it's like it would be too much to fit that in and too much to explain it. And then we didn't want to ruin the Jones character. Okay, give me that, let me so, ask a bunch of other questions. I want to, you know, sure. the um, how long from the time that you wrapped production that it was a film that the actors could see? I believe. Andrew also edited it because we didn't have money. So he basically hid in his apartment for eight months and edited the whole thing. Um, and we had some people do some of the, the the VFX. I even did some of that where there's like cars in the background that I had to digitally remove frame by frame because um, I happen to know how to do that. But yeah, I believe the original rough edit was eight months out. But even then it wasn't like uh, Amanda and I went because we only live like 20 some minutes away from him went over there to see that. And at the time up. So he lives in Arizona. Yeah. He's in Phoenix. Okay. Yeah. And so, which is kind of, it's sort of funny that we met in Mexico. We should be making a bunch of movies. You know, that was one thing, you know, that he talked about, uh, what genre is this? What kind of movie is it? What categorization does this have? Yeah. I don't even know. Like, because it's so, because it isn't just a period piece and the feel isn't like that. And the, uh, there's a lot of things about it that are sort of like cult classic weird that I think makes it feel way more modern, even though the story and the props and stuff, most of them are totally historically accurate, but it's, it's sort of its own thing. Like, I don't know how to, to characterize it exactly. And I sort of like that about it. Well, I'd um, like to just... be able to describe it. Somebody came up with some definitions. I was hoping you'd remember. I can't remember. It was like um, um, 
I don't know, freedom drama, slap you upside the head, make you think about something, something. I have no idea. Yeah, well, Andrew refers it to it as the 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 what's it called? The vanguard of the American dissident cinema movement. Boom! <laughs> because good enough. They're all something like that. <laughs> yeah. So I like that. That fits. Okay, so it took but, a yeah, long he time. Had it eight, himself eight for months. like eight months, and then then we saw the rough version. Um, but it was it was still many more months until it was all the way finished with all the the color and the sound. Did you the, get the, response from the actors and actresses, them coming out, you know, commenting at all? Did they have anything to say? Are they proud? They putting it up on their resume or not? Yeah, there's a, there's a number of them that are out there promoting it on their own and stuff and, and having little screenings. The guy who plays Charles, one of the slaves who had to Keith, uh, Keith is the actor who plays that <laughs> had to like apologize to him for all the stuff he has to go through. Cause that character has like the worst time imaginable in every way possible. And he did an awesome job. The heavy guy. And so he had a, a little screening down in Arkansas, the heavier guy, the bigger guy that was kind of opposition to what was going on. That guy. Um, only a little bit. He was, he was, uh, he's the one who got, uh, caught stealing Jones plantation credits. And then his daughter dies. And so a whole bunch of really horrible things happened to him all in a row. Yeah, there was a whole um, bunch of stuff. You know, like little false flag stuff. You know, there was, mm-hmm. you know, control, psychological, man. You put it all in there. You know, it was, it was, I yeah. think it was crafted very well. I think it's definitely an anarchist, libertarian, cult, classic kind of thing. You know, I can see where mm-hmm. it's a cult film. Not because, you know, you need cults, but it was just, it's its so representative of nuanced Larkin Rose fan people, <laughs> you know, anti-government thing. But um, it's done in a, a way, this is something that I remember seeing a lot of this kind of flavor in elementary school. It was when they'd have some kind of a short, you know, that's kind of, you know, 1984-ish, you know. It was uh, Brave New World-ish kind of deal. Yeah, what are those in? What are those genres? 1984 and Brave New World, what would they? And I just found out there was a Brave New World done in 98 that was on, I think, NBC or ABC or something. And uh, one of the head characters was Leonard Nimoy, you know, Spock. And I'm going, where the hell did this come from? I got, uh, I have never seen this movie, and it was awesome. There was Brave New World, redone 1998 with Leonard Nimoy. I went and looked it up, and what did I find? You can't find it. They were, the IMDb has it there. You can get it here. And the to order the DVD was $130. Yeah. I'm like, are you are you kidding me? Well, you can get it used for sixty. I mean, you know. So I'm just like, wow, they did not want this thing shown. When you watch it, you can see why. That's exactly what's going to happen to Jones Plantation. It was the same kind of thing, you know. And I'm just at you know 1984. So what would that in 1984 be? You know, that's the cl- classification you would wind up in. Uh. Well, so often the categorization of movies is just sort of like drama or suspense or blah, 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 because there's no point to any of it. It's just kind of entertainment. Movies with a point, I'm not sure they even fit into a genre. 
um, movies with a point. Right. Maybe that's its own. Movies with a point. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Have you got any reviews? Is there you know like they you know uh, Rotten Tomatoes give a crap or are they you know any of that stuff? Are you gone main anywhere? Not any, not any like professional reviewers yet. There's, there's a bunch of reviews on IMDb. It's funny because they, somebody intentionally like sabotage bombed us there because the ratings were really high. And then we got like 29 one star reviews in a row in the span of like a couple days. Of course you did. there, There were no written reviews. It was just suddenly this barrage of we all hate it. From where? Like, what, what platform was that on? IMDb. Of course. Because it's listed there. Of course, of course, of course, of course. And so there's a number of like viewer reviews there that are really cool that, that describe what they think of the movie. Um, but then the actual star rating that we was doing really well. And then they, you know, there was just this obvious orchestrated attack. And like people are allowed to not like whatever they yeah, want to Yeah, no, not I'm like. wondering who would be but negative. It goes like that. I know, but why? I mean, it was, it's, um, it could have been bought. It's a government, you know, CIA yeah. operation of whatever the hell, because they can't. Yeah, and the thing is, I have a collection of haters and stuff who, like, downvote everything I do on YouTube, and it's, like, yeah, whether bots. it's government bots or just bitter twits. Bots. Uh, I don't know. Bots, 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 AI bots. You know, this is, you know, the people that, you know, do this kind of stuff as a mission are are paid, they're trolls. They're government. I've been doing this for a long time, man. It's just automated. You're not allowed to whatever the heck. So I'm just, yeah. you know, this is uh, definitely in that category. Now, the guy that played the plantation owner, um, you're, is he the one with the podcast you're talking about? Yeah, he has a podcast called The Quash. He did uh, a really, everybody did such a good job. You know, who I, I really want to compliment was... Who picked the cast? Was that Andrew? Did that the director? Yeah, that was Andrew. Yeah, score man. And I, he asked me about a couple things like Smith, and when I saw Maurice, I was like, yeah, that's that's the look that 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 Smith. But almost all the other ones, I didn't know anything about him, and, and he chose them because he's the director and that's his job. But yeah, the the guy the guy who plays Mister Jones is awesome. He's not an actor. I mean, he is, but he wasn't before, and yeah. he, you know, he'd never had. But his his delivery, he was just so hysterical, unbelievable. Um, the funny thing is, when he breaks the, the, the fourth wall at the end, it, he almost doesn't have to act because he's explaining things that he actually understands and explains on a regular basis. It's just the difference between explaining it and going, there, I benefit from this, or explaining it and going, that's why it's horribly evil. But the explanation is the same just describing how this stuff works it's just whether he's happy about it or okay the future of this this is does this have you know it's going to be cult 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 and all of a sudden it's uh rocky horror picture show or is it going to be kind of get a big bump is there some support is it just you'll see what happens because as we get more and more in the jones plantation it's obvious here naturally i can see this is not going to get you know, less of a viewing. I mean, it's going to continue to grow, but is there, like you say, with the, the bots or the, whatever the negative uh, reviews on it, which is, there is no way this gets a negative review. 
I mean, how positive, but definitely a positive. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that it was done quickly and with the budget that you did from a, you know, a small uh, short story and kind of, man, you know, so who gets the props? One, you've been advocating this forever, but it's definitely an Andrew thing. I mean, you know, that somebody took and did it and was able to make it happen and then corral everybody into getting this done. And then the actors, well, that comes into a selection process by him, too. All of them. All of the the actors played the slaves, you know, the children, you know, the different main characters that were involved, you know, even the overseer. Then you just kind of be in, you know, site decoration or whatever. You know, what I was impressed with, there's Larkin. Well, we got to hear it. Not a freaking word. I was like, awesome, you know? And uh, so so this was so... I'm hoping that these actresses, actors, you know, especially the Smith guy, the other guys, that they get work from this, but I'm thinking that they will punish them. You ain't never making it nothing, but they're out of Atlanta, which has its own movie thing. Yeah. At this point, I'm not sure they're even... I'm not sure that whole punishment thing would exactly apply the same way because like I said, it isn't even, it isn't even preaching a particular solution. It's just showing the problem. And at this point, like there's a number of, uh, I think a few of, I'm not even sure which ones, but I think a few of them were sag and probably still are because most actors are. And they're just like, well, I'm going to do it anyway because it's that or not have any work. Like, (laughs) If those are my choices, why would I choose zero work? Um, and, but I think it's sort of, I think we're getting beyond the point because, because mainstream Hollywood is sort of falling apart. And then you start to have these little projects that, what was the, uh, what's her name? I'm going to get her name wrong. That like Disney banned her because of some, like, not at all. Gina Carrero. Yeah, that's Carrera, right. That's right. Carrera or something like that. You know. Yeah, something like that. But I, you know what I mean? Disney, and then ESPN, Hulu was free because we had some Verizon package or something. They did that. I'm done. I unsubscribed yeah. from Disney, all their crap. Because kiss my butt. I'm so sick of being manipulated, preached to, having them like. And I like the Mandalorian. That was you know John Favreau, the guy that you know was the. Uh, Tony Stark's uh, chauffeur and kind of director of a lot of the, you know, the Marvel stuff. You know, I thought, you know, he did a great job with that. When they did that, Disney could suck it. And up until this, all through the Trump reports that we've been doing, because Frank is such pop culture guy, he knew that they were infiltrated. We could tell years ago where this was going. We're like, wow. It starts with the comics. They put it in. You know, uh, Superman gets put in a kryptonite cell or something batman has to go save him so the straight white male of superman kind of gets raped in prison every day in the comics they're doing what robin's gay uh, spider-man's black i mean it, i mean it's, i'm going holy crap they're doing it you know snow white not so white and the seven magical people or something i mean you know disney just might as well put a bullet in her mouth so i was just like this is i'm not being part of this i'm not supporting any of this crap so this yeah. is to get this kind of a movie out of a voluntarist leave me alone as anarchist larkin rose is awesome to have something that you can yeah this it's a tool and that's the thing is that the 
like I used to refer to the mainstream media all the time. I have to correct myself. They're not mainstream anymore. Like CNN has puny audience compared to like half a dozen different random podcasters. Skateboard bulldogs get more hits than they do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So if we can, that's why our aim is not, we're going to win over what used to be the mainstream. Like who cares? Our aim is to have it talked about on podcasts and stuff. Cause you know, if some, you know, Jimmy Dore totally came from the left and still is the left. I bet if he saw the movie, he would talk about it and say something about it. Russell Brand used to be left and now, you know, is condemned by everybody all over the place because um, both parties, he makes fun of both. They're all them. going to decentralization, um, which is what we've been preaching forever. Down right. The local, and then Joe local, Rogan local. has this monstrously huge audience. If he watched the movie, I bet he'd say something about it. And even if it's just, I'm not sure what to. So It'll the fact that we now have the opportunity to have a discussion that's everywhere that doesn't rely on the Hollywood studios. Like they have no say in it. The matrix is a system, Neil. That system is our enemy. When you're inside, you look around, what do you see? Businessmen, teachers, lawyers, carpenters, the very minds of the people we are trying to save. But until we do, these people are still a part of that system and that makes them our enemy. You have to understand, most of these people are not ready to be unplugged. And many of them are so inert, so hopelessly dependent on the system, that they will fight to protect it. Were you listening to me, Neo? Or were you looking at the woman in the red dress? I was... Look again. Who is it? What are they? Sentient programs. Anyone we haven't unplugged is potentially an agent. Inside the Matrix, they are everyone. And they are no one. They are guarding all the doors. They are holding all the keys, which means that sooner or later, someone is going to have to fight them. Someone. I won't lie to you, Neil. Every single man or woman who has stood their ground, everyone who has fought an agent has died. But where they have failed, you will succeed. Why? Their strength and their speed are still based in a world that is built on rules. Because of that, they will never be as strong or as fast as you can be. Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember... I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Let us make them remember. We are not afraid! Declare your independence of me, Ernest Hancock. We're continuing our conversation in the second hour with Larkin Rose, author of The Most Dangerous Superstition, 
government. And he also did a short story that has been made into a full-length movie. This is a feature movie. It's very, very, very nice, well done, called The Jones Plantation. We now have the opportunity to have a discussion that's everywhere that doesn't rely on the Hollywood studios. Like, they have no say in it. They don't, like, Andrew and I own the film, and that's it. There is no, we don't have to answer to somebody else or change it because, like, yeah, that wasn't ever. Okay, I say this. I want to make sure I share this with the audience that's here for you just so that they know. Years ago, there was an indie film that was done. Guys that used to make Star Trek indie films of whatever, you know, and uh, uh, then Paramount, you know, started getting all whiny about it and everything, which is stupid because they were promoting the whole genre anyway. But the, um, so they go, all right, we're going to do our own film. This side of Europe, Austria, something. And they come up and they wanted to make a film. It was crowdsourced. People kind of put in their stuff on it. It was kind of, you know, kind of having a, uh, uh, it's not like Jones Plantation, but they had a message in there. You know, it's kind of government bad. Well, it was called Iron Sky. Have you ever seen Iron Sky? Nazis oh, no, on the no, dark no. side of the moon. Okay. Have you seen that movie? No, but I've heard of it. No, no, no. Iron Sky. Now, they had a second yeah. one, which was kind of, yeah, whatever. I paid 35 bucks to pre-purchase the Blu-ray when it comes out kind of thing, which is what Larkin can do is a crowdsourcing of the next movie. Now that you got this one under your belt, I bet you probably the, the value of this movie is the crowdsource funding of the next movie. Okay, that's what this one does. So what Iron Sky did, one of the Ron Paul activists, a young guy in his 20s, he and another activist woman he was with, they got married, and now they got, like, God, seven kids or something, some ridiculous thing. But they, uh, he was on my butt. You got to watch Iron Sky. Yeah, I got to watch Iron Sky. Yeah, I watch it. One day he came over with a memory key that put in my TV. Hell, I didn't even know you could do that on, you know, the TVs. So he puts it in there. Sit down. You're watching this. Now, damn it. Okay? All right, fine. So it was a big propaganda piece that they're going to the moon, and they had some black actor that goes with them. So it was black to the moon, you know, that kind of thing. So it was just, you know, fun. And it was like Sarah Palin was now president. So this is like in the future a few years. So Sarah Palin was kind of played, you know, was kind of that character. So I'm going, okay. They go through, it was a great movie, it was fun, it was kind of, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And Nazis were, you know, hiding out on the dark side of the moon, you know, that kind of thing, ready to come back with their blimp spaceships and, you know, throwing asteroids at, whatever. The point was, it had great effects, it was really quality done, a lot of, you know, good CGI, but it was not focused on CGI crap. It was, that just kind of added to it, but it was the story and the film and what it, so I was reminded of that when I watched The Jones Plantation. The reason it was such a big deal to me is I go, no theater would touch it because it didn't come out of the studios. It was an indie thing. It was crowdsourced. They didn't have to pay Hollywood. Nobody made any money in the industry on it. The theaters wouldn't touch it. They didn't want to encourage this independent filmmaking kind of thing. And it became a cult classic. So much so that it funded the next one. So then you go, which had Hitler riding Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, really crazy stuff that people throw in there because they can, right? You know, uh, for $10,000, what scene can I get in there? I mean, that kind of crap. So what happened was, and it was awesome, but it demonstrated 
that there is an independent filmmaking capability with the technology now and the software and the editing ability and the CGI and the green screening and all this stuff that it has gotten to the point that you don't need Hollywood studios, their distribution thing, the theaters, the AMC of Harkin of whatever the hell, they can suck it because the people can do it themselves. They can they can make their own printing press. They, it's just like I remember when cut and paste doing newspapers was cut and paste of actually on the big things you had to take photos of, or now you just send them you know, a PDF file and they print the newspaper. You know, it's the same kind of thing with the Internet, with the ability to make these kinds of films. With the, I remember when we were first activists doing, I had a big Panasonic, you know, um, uh, big memory card that went in and the big camera, whatever. I can do that with an iPhone. You know, it's just, yes. it's so different now to be able to do this kind of stuff. And all you have to do is be a Spielberg at eight years old, use an eight millimeter film, to Kate, whatever, that that's how he started going on up. And all of a sudden you got E.T. that's shown forever and always. Well, the same thing is happening now with guys like Larkin with these types of opportunities. So what do we, so what do we got to look forward to? A whole bunch of messaging, a whole bunch of, yeah, did you know about, did you see, and go look at. And they, them, those can't do anything about it as soon as we get off of this technocratic, technocracy-controlled, big-tech internet of whatever the hell it is. We are going to have, and it keeps getting further and further, which is my big advocacy. IPFS, Cordal, Bastion, all these, if they're not decentralized, Matrix, whatever, if they're not decentralized to where they can't be deleted, where files and video like this, when we get done with this, it's going up on servers in a format that you can't delete it. You can't edit it. You can't censor it. You can't, because suck it, you know? So, this is what the future is. Then it's going to be the indexing of it, which we have cracked that just a few months ago. Derek came up. Yep. Now you can index and search all IPFS, which was a thing before because you couldn't. Well, now you can. Now what? I don't know. But it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And these guys could suck it because what are they doing? They're repressing as much of not just the content, but the capability of having your own content. They see that as a threat. Because if you're not in control, you're out of control. And they can't handle you being out of control. Larkin Rose, out of control. What are you going to do? So what's your next project? Now you got this going. Are you just going to be spending time promoting this? Or is this going to segue into something else? Yeah, we're trying to, to push this all over the place and see if we can get some of the the people with huge podcasts who are, you know, they can be status. I don't care. I just want them to see the movie and say what they think about it, because that's actually I, I'm more interested to see how it hits with normal people. And I think that can be a whole lot of fun discussions. So obviously we're promoting the hell out of this and trying to get it where we can. Ah, I got trash um, can flyers be a coming again. Feel me? Come on, come on. Yeah. It's all that street activism Ernie crap, you know? Yeah. And whether it's like physical pieces of paper or just people talking about it on the internet or whatever. Hey, man, 
Yeah, they that talk is. about it on the internet after they get a physical and a love card for Christmas in the parking lot at the mall. We're doing this already. I'm coming from <laughs> Thanksgiving to Christmas. I won't be a butthead. You might as well get included. Because the thing is, is that it has, you know, this is how I attack it. When you have somebody of an in, of influencer, you know, a podcaster, a media personality, a news anchor or whatever, find out where they live and you put it on every doorstep of every neighbor they got within a three block radius except them. <laughs> and then, you know, everybody's like, yeah, did you see the good? You should know about God. You know, it's just a bombardment because that's what happens to them. They're being bombarded by they, them, those over or whatever. I am. That's why it's the freeway overpass size. That's why it's a size. That's why it's a sky riding. That's why I've done so much. You know, every mall around your house gets on every car during the shopping season of a nice Christmas card that has. And oh, by the way, uh, uh, Freedom's the answer. What's the question? So this is that's why I do street activism. I'm not counting on some big tech, the press to all of a sudden do it for me. They actively make sure you don't. So I'm going, screw you. You bypass them. You buy street yeah. activist. That's me. Me, 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 me. And I got a little bus. No, 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 no. <laughs> Telling you, man, you know, Corbett and I are going to be hitting Arizona hard this uh, winter season. You know, we'll talk about it, you know, when I get up to uh, get back to Arizona because definitely want you to be included. And we're going to whip some ass because there's so much talent in Arizona. Yeah, hell, Ernie Larkin, you know, boom, there you go. So there's a lot of other people, you know, that moved to Arizona from a lot of places because Arizona kicks butt. What do you think, Arizona? You liking it there? Yeah. I mean, the summers is just a microwave in Phoenix for a couple right. of months, but you just live through that and the rest is awesome. Well, um, and I I already was under the impression, um, based on like book sales from before, I think there are more voluntarists in Arizona than anywhere else in the world. Um, and I think that was already true like years ago and just based on like, I see a lot of orders going to Arizona and it wasn't even people who were like organized and have a movement and know each other. It's just, you know, however it happened, there were a lot of I people tell you there. It happened and it wasn't by accident. Okay. I know. <laughs> It was freaking 90s a whip ass. That's what it was. See, I already know what it takes to change general public opinion. So this is, I don't think I know. I freaking know. Man, my kids hate when I say that. I go, look, I don't think I know. I know exactly how it happened. And it's just, I go on and on and on about it. But it took a tireless minority setting brush fires. Mm. We were in their face. Well, when the Ron Paul thing came, uh, came out and it just exploded. The revolution started the year before in the 06 election cycle. That's where that logo came from. And I just, you know, took it and made it the Ron Paul revolution thing, you know, from previous campaign that we had. So when that went, I knew it was going to happen because we did it in 94, you know, with another campaign. We did it in 06, you know, the a campaign I was running for secretary of state with still voting with the V for vendetta as the V in voting thing. And the, the revolution was one of the logos in that campaign. So I already knew how the impact and the rhetoric that happened. And Ron Paul represented that. And I'm going, watch this. And they're like, what do you think is going to happen? I go, watch that. There wasn't a doubt in my mind because I was already getting people with tattoos of that logo before even that. So I'm just like, here we go. Well, what was it? What was the secret sauce? Consistency, passion, clarity, confidence. 
You know, having people understand. I'm not trying to convince you, you know, to agree with me, okay? I just want you to understand why I'm so convinced. Once you do that with the material and the uh, ability to share with things like your books and Jones Plantation, it just builds on itself. And when we go to Sedona to speak, that's what I'm going to be focusing on. I'm going, you guys want to see what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen because I know how to make it happen. You know, Larkin deals on a much larger global base uh, you know, around the world, and I focus on Arizona IA because four kids, 12 grandkids, guess what? And I'm going to be out in the desert, and I want you to leave me the hell alone. And they're not, so we're going to have us some fun. And because one last thing I got to do, Larkin's got a nice movie for me to pirate the shit out of. Ooh, did I say that out loud? So you know, this is going to be, you know, get over it, man. Just get over it. You, know, you can yell at me all like Russo did until he didn't anymore. <laughs> you know, But I think that's something that's like sadly lacking in a lot of the movement, I think. And it's just a, it's a human nature psychology thing that there are a number of people who are already voluntarists or whatever, and they are more concerned with like hiding in a corner and telling the world how right they are than they are of making the rest of the world understand what they understand. And so when somebody like what you're doing and like what we do, where the goal is to get everybody to understand what we know rather than just sit somewhere and whine about how wrong they are. And it, it, it's sad how that's why I've long said that I think voluntarism is absolutely predestined to become the whole world largely in spite of much of the movement not because of it and there are parts of the movement like what you're doing that's actually outreach and trying to talk to the rest of the world and get them to to recognize this is what actually fits with who they really are and what they really believe in they've just been taught a bunch of authoritarian garbage that's getting in the way um but it's sort of frustrating how many people seem to They'd rather be, they're so focused on being different that part of them doesn't even want the rest of the world to understand what they understand and move forward. And that's just, I, I've said it a million times, I long for the day when everything I've done becomes completely unnecessary and worthless because everybody understands all of it because it's all self-evident anyway. And then humanity can start being humanity. And I think we're, we're, in the beginning of that, but we're we're moving along really fast precisely because normal people, like the contrast between when these ideas are delivered in a like rational, sane, logical way, and then looking at the government and how ridiculously like desperate and just fascist they're becoming all over the place. Even the normal people who never wanted to have to think about any of this stuff, never cared about politics. They're starting to recognize, first of all, I can't just ignore it and have it not exist. It's going to butt itself into my life. And second of all, I can't pretend that what we have is okay. And that's, you know, the, the main punch in the face that I want people to get from Jones Plantation is to realize what we have isn't just, oh, we need to tinker a little bit and it's not quite as good as it should be. It's profoundly insane and evil. And showing the sort of behind the curtain stuff of, of how these psychos actually do stuff, I want it to disturb people because I want them to recognize that's not what I want and that's not what humanity should be. And are we still falling for this? Is this what's actually going on behind the scenes? 
and recognize that this isn't something you can just pretend isn't there because it's like destroying lives and, you know, creating wars and all sorts of stuff. And to sort of give people a rude awakening that they probably don't particularly want, but weirdly those in power are helping force those people to acknowledge it. Like the last few years, a huge number of normal people who just minded their own business and never thought about this were sort of kicked out of their comfort zone by the control freaks ruining their lives and trying to shut things down and force all these stupid mandates all over the place to the point where a bunch of normal people are like, no, I'm not putting up with this. Like that's like, you've yeah, finally okay, gone too the far. The next round of this freak. pandemic thing, what do you think? People are going to go, Yep. Oh, we got round two. Sign me up. Here we go. Give me a shot. The thing is, I almost like I can't ever hope they try it because it's you know it, it destroys people's lives and it actually causes harm. But if they do, they're going to find out a lot of people who went along the first time are going to be like, no, we're not doing that again. Because and this was weird because I was saying this at the beginning, like a bunch of these lies are going to fall apart and they're going to have to come out and admit that they lied about all this stuff. And they have, like the mainstream, one little thing at a time, and they try to, like, control the leak of it, of, like, admitting, well, yeah, it turns out that the stupid social distancing did nothing, and the shutdowns did nothing. Well, they did nothing positive. They did massive amounts of harm, and we were wrong about this, and we lied about that. And and when the when the people in power rely on a bunch of lies that can't possibly continue, that are doomed to fall apart... That shows me that they're desperate and they're thinking short term. They didn't used to be that stupid. They were planning like for humongous way in the distance. And when I see them making moves, that's like a a desperate thing that sooner or later is going to blow up in their face. That's a good sign, even though it's, you know, harming a bunch of people in the meantime. But if they tried the same thing again, I think a huge number of people would go, we're not doing that again. No, we went along with it for the first time. Like some of them did. And we believed you. We took your word for it. We did all these stupid things. It didn't do any good. It destroyed millions of lives. Turned out you were lying about all of it. If you try that again, we're just not freaking good. Right. This is it, when it first started. I could see when they did the two weeks to flatten the curve thing. Two weeks. Yeah. yeah, a couple of weeks, you know. And I'm like, all right, we'll see what's up. Two weeks. You know, we'll take a two week, everybody take a vacation. We'll see if the bodies start piling up like cordwood in front of the, you know, hospitals. I mean, well, and they wanted to give that impression. But fortunately, what was the difference? Which is why we created Freedom's Phoenix. From the ashes, Freedom's Rebirth. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, they'd be ashes in Portland and we're kind of, you know, what you could see it coming. I tell you when it was the end of 19, when we had our vaccine education summit and uh, we had, you know, a bunch of the guys like, you know, um, uh, Dr. Judy Mikevitz and Dale Bigtree and a bunch of other guys. And we had done one in 16 and we could see what was coming. And uh, there was going to be a lot of mandates, eliminating uh, uh, exemptions, and big farmers going to whatever. Five legislators came to the summit. It was a packed thing, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're for freedom. I'm going, I get up after lunch, and I get up and I go, introduce in the afternoon, and I said, traders first. I go, I know you guys, when Big Pharma comes up and said, and you're marching orders, if you're going to, you're going to, and all the promises you're making to these people is all BS. And I go, traders first. FYI, now for the next speaker, I mean, you like that kind of thing. Because I just, I just know the way these guys operate. So it was um, my goal 
at the end of 19 to make sure that people understood that this is here comes the next wave of totalitarian if they have to. They had to do some stimulus. They had to do some the economy was going to go to crap. They had big farmers wanting to make sure they get bank on the vaccine thing. They already had million dollar grants to any legislator that would eliminate an exemption or create a mandate. That was it. So you know they were yep. flooding it with whatever. At the same time, they're doing all this was planned. So when we did the Love Bus and we went on the Love Bus Liberty Tour, it was in direct opposition plan. We were ready to do signs all over the nation on this small little county, helping the little, you know, Jones Plantation in Virginia, you know, that they got the people all, you know, lined up and going to get them and they didn't have enough masks and can't open their gym, their restaurant, their church, their whatever the hell. We go explain it to them. But our whole goal was to give competence in resistance to gain confidence. And once you do that, that you can have a say, once they get that feeling of no fear, once they get that feeling that they can do it, once they get that feeling of putting up a sign for Ron Paul, once you get the spontaneous order of I'm not alone and people do it, it changes things, which is exactly what you're seeing in Arizona. Because we did that for, God, decades. I heard just, until I left, it was, you know, it was constant, constant. I can't even keep track of how many times we'd take advantage of doing whatever and it piss off they, them, those. Well, did they change? Are they getting better? No. It gets get worse. Freedom's the answer. What's the question? You're listening to Ernest Hancock. Welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis in our final segment with Larkin Rose, the author of several books and the creator of the movie, The Jones Plantation. Very interesting. Enjoy. Well, did they change? Are they getting better? No. It gets worse because Arizona is, you know, it's like you got a two by four with 50 nails in it. Well, which one are they hammering? The one that's pulling out. We start pulling the nail out of Arizona. They come with a big hammer. Here comes Sheriff Arpaio. Here comes Janet Napolitano. He gets elected, supposedly. I don't trust the system. Attorney General, governor, then leaves to go be head of Homeland Security out of Arizona. How the hell do you think that happens? Why do you think that happens? Because the nail was getting pulled out. So we start pulling the nail, they're going to come again. Bring it! Larkin's here now. Yuck, 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 yuck. So I'm going to have me some fun, get back to Arizona. But i got to focus on building my home in the desert as the promise I made to Donna. She's been with me for decades on this. But now, and all I want to do, if they leave me alone... It's all good. I'm out in the middle edge of the desert, nearest neighbor, you know, almost a mile away. I just, you know, know, just leave Ernie alone. Will they? Will they? Well, just like I knew it was going to happen in 20, I'm getting ready. OccupyTheLand.org. We're getting ready. So the thing is, is that I am going to be using Larkin like the freaking, you know, mop up, mop if I need a mop. You know, all their state is bullshit. You know, ooh, did I say that out loud? You know, this is, I'm telling you, this is going to be some fun. So are you ready for some fun, Larkin? What are you looking to do? How you entertain yourself up against the beast, man? Come on. Come on. I'm too busy to entertain myself. Busy causing trouble everywhere. But it's really fun to see how many people, like I've said before, my first book was called How to Be a Successful Tyrant. And the dumbest thing you can do is if you're, if you're a tyrant is teach 
your subjects how to say no. And they just did that all over the place to the point that even a bunch of their enforcers were like, yeah, we're not doing that. Like it happened in Chicago with some stupid gun law and a bunch, most of the counties were like, we're not doing that. Then down in New Mexico where psycho is like, well, we're going to wow. temporarily like erase the Second Amendment. And a whole bunch of sheriffs are like, yeah, no, you're not. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> and so when even your own enforcers are going, yeah, no, we're not doing that. Like. It, that is one of the best representations to the rest of the people to get that idea in their head. As you well know, most people, it never occurs to them. Like, you're allowed to petition. You're allowed to vote. You can vote for Mr. Jones or Mr. Johnson. You can speak at one of the meetings about what you're not happy about. But when people realize, wait, you mean we can just say no and then not do what they said? Yeah. And if only a couple of you do that, you might get a tank in your living room. If half of you do that, nothing happens to you. They don't have the resources to enforce it. But that mental step of being able to get to the point where, and I want, like I want Jones Plantation disturbing people because Samuel, like the one guy really understands what's going on. He brings this up. It's like, why are we playing by their rules? And like freedom is ours the moment we claim it. Like, why are we asking their permission why are we saying, will you please pass this legislation that tells us we're allowed to keep? No, screw you. We're allowed to do that because we say so. And a lot of people are getting into that mindset who were never there before. And that is that is the revolution that matters. It's happening between their ears where they realize, oh, yeah, this is wrong and I don't have to do what they say. And as fundamental as that is, most people never think that. But a whole lot of people are thinking that now where they're not about whining for permission to do anything. And to see normal people get into that mindset is awesome. And there were a a bunch of cases of that in the last few years, like, you know, gym owner in New Jersey was just like, yeah, I'm just not going to close. And the, 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 the lady with salon down in Texas and that they tried to like jail for not closing down. And there was this huge backlash and they immediately let her go. And, Just when people recognize that they actually have the power and all of the power of big, scary government just comes from the compliance of their victims. And you that's (laughs) it's the only place it ever comes from. And that that actually shows up in, in Jones Plantation, where if people are scared and want somebody else to be in charge, then they can be ruled when they actually want freedom. That's it. That's the end. You're done. Okay, but what about voting yourself free? Is that a thing? No. And that's that's one of the things that that I I want sort of kind of pro freedomish people to to notice is uh, Noah, one of the workers slash slaves, has a very short attempt to run for office. Yes, that's a reference to all third parties, including the libertarian. It's like, well, why on earth would you think? That the system they built to trick people into putting up with their slavery and thinking they can send. Why do you ever think that you're going to be able to use that to get people free? So we had to we had to throw in that reference. And I hope people notice and go, oh, yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've been voting for Noah this whole time instead of figuring. Well, out that's, that's one thing that we're trying to do. This graphic in the black area on the top right where it says still voting. It had little you know thought that said 
ErnestHancock.com, Secretary of State. And at the bottom, it said endorsed by FreemasPhoenix.com, just to get that in, just piss them off. And this was, but the whole sign was really just to get that up there. That was 2006. At the same time, that's where the Levolution logo logo came from because I had a, you know, vinyl sticker kit that had that on there. I saw and, uh, you know, the Beatles did the reverse love thing, whatever. So that, and these, this was voted the most popular sign in the newspaper that year. And they freaked when the, (laughs) the election was over, I went out to collect up all my signs and with a day they were gone. I'm like, those bastards stole all my signs. Then I found out what happened to them. They were in people's garages. They had them all over the place. They were at the ASU campuses. There, People wanted that sign. And I'm going, okay, that's good, my donation. So the thing is, is that this campaign, this concept, this ideology, this advocacy that Larkin Rose does with his films, his books, his stuff— I don't think I know. I know Arizona is prime for this. They always have been. Bob Anderson and I, good friend, lives out in the West Valley there. We, you know, there was dozens of us. You know, there was, you know, probably a couple of dozen that were hardcore activists, which was the beginning, the core, the start of the Ron Paul revolution. It started in Arizona. We had a workshop. We made all these signs, shipping them all over the place. Send me videotape of you. Do, and it exploded. Within a couple of months, boom. I remember it was um, like May of 07. Ron was in Des Moines, Iowa. And a convention there, and he goes, thanks for letting me join your Levolution. I'm like, ding, 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 ding. Because he, he understood. It wasn't about him. It was about the philosophy. It was about, even with MAGA and the Trump, it's not about Trump. He's just a side effect. It's just pissed off people. It's the people that they were going after that they want to make afraid that they want to. It's MAGA. They got even uh, Camel Lady Harris. You know, she wants to like, you know, we got to get. We know you're out there. We're going to get some. We're going to put all the J6 people in jail. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to. Okay. And then what? Then what? You're going to try to ratchet it down more, tax some more, regulate some more. And at some point, all this stuff, the education that people get from people like Larkin Rose and a lot of what the activists do in Levolution, whatever, all of a sudden the people have a language. They have an ability. They have a reference. They have a tool that they can go, nah, what they said. Not what they said, what they said. And not what they said, again, not what they said. They're lying sacks of snot and they went, yeah, but we are fact-checked. You know, we, we fact-checked ourselves and we said that, you know, we're right and they're wrong. I mean, it's just all of a sudden, this is how revolutions start up here. It's not down here. It's not all this, you know, vote harder, you know, or vote or whatever, whatever the hell you're doing. It's just general public opinion. Hey, you suck. I'm going to take care of it myself. I'm going to build my own home, educate my own children, grow my own food. You know, communicate myself in a decentralized mesh satellite of socket. I mean, once this, the technology gets up to it, which is why we did PiratesWithoutBorders.com. Pirates Without Borders, the advocacy of decentralization of everything and a bunch of news articles and equipment technology that supports that just to give confidence. What Larkin's been doing all this time, because I remember Larkin, when his name came across, you know, my radar screen as an activist libertarian God, long time ago, early 2000s, 90s, whatever. What year was it that you went to prison for challenging and asking questions about IRS jurisdiction of? What year was that? 2006. They they stole all of 2006 from me. 
So I just wrote books. It was that late? Really? I thought it was even earlier than that. But what we did is before the Levolution, and there was these... What they call it? IRS code section eight forty one or something like that, or two eight sixty one eight sixty one. God, that's close. Okay, so eight sixty one. <laughs> they have you know, it's like your income is not taxable because of you know, it's not income wages or you know, whatever BS. So the thing was, is Larkin's going nope. Make them make you, make them say it. Okay, I'm with Larkin. So he knew he was right. He pressed it all the way, and they go, yeah, well. We don't like the way you're doing it because you're going to challenge the entire of you got to do time. And they go, well, your daughter is going to go in foster care if we take you and your wife and put you in jail at the same time because we're the government and we can't. But if you plea or if you agree or if you whatever the hell, we'll put you in jail for a year. Then you get to take care of your daughter. We'll put her in jail for the year. or We're just going to do all and She goes foster care. No love for these sons of bitches. Okay. This is how they operate. Why? Because they can. There's no justice, no truth. There's no American way. American way is them doing whatever. So from that, you can see Larkin was adamant about asserting his rights, the truth, and gosh darn it, you have no idea who you pissed off. Well, what finally happens? Book, 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 advocacy, him speaking at a lot of events. Yeah, what Larkin says doing battle with the statist or the minarchist or wherever the hell they are. And then all of a sudden, boom, Jones Plantation. This is what I've been trying to tell you. It's a tool. Go use it. I'm willing to do it. Pace. That's how I know you. You've been an inspiration for a long time. And now Larkin's in Arizona. So this is, yeah, yeah, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to have some fun. All right. So anything else you want to say before we break, man? Uh, I guess the main thing is, uh, I've said it a million times, but like, it's fun to have a movie that pro freedom people can watch and go, yeah, oh yeah, that's uh, like, that's so true. And that's so real and stuff. Um, but that doesn't actually fix anything. I wanted this made because I think it's really powerful what it can do to make all the other people actually think about stuff. And so as much as I, I want people who are already on my side to go watch the thing, I want them to show it to their family and their friends and their enemies and their coworkers and everybody else they can think of, because I think it, it, it has an opportunity to make people think in a way that almost, almost nothing else that the freedom movement does not quite nothing because it doesn't just tell them your belief system sucks and you're advocating evil, which by the way is totally true, but people don't like to hear that. But if you can show them an allegory and a fictional story and have them figure it out, it registers very different in the human mind. The difference between somebody like lecturing you and telling you how wrong you are and showing you a story where you figure out, uh, yeah, something's horribly wrong and I'm going to have to think about that. And I, I've already gotten a whole bunch of, of first and second hand um, responses about normal people watching the movie where it's making them think and it's making them question things and it's entertaining them. Like even the ones who say, yeah, I'm glad I watched it. And also I'm going to have to process some stuff and figure out what I think about this. That's what we want. And like, we can make a movie and if nobody sees it, who cares? It didn't do any good. So the main thing I want, you know, the, the pro freedom people to do is get it in front of people who aren't there yet, because they're the ones who need to like start, recognizing and realizing things and questioning things. And I think this particular thing is a really good tool for 
for getting them to do that, but not if it doesn't get in front of them. And obviously we're fighting an uphill battle. We don't have a, you know, Hollywood budget to promote this thing. And so we we're relying on like actual decent people <laughs> to do what they can to get it Activism. out there. Gosh, darn it. Get DVDs. Yep. We got duplicators. We put them in all the legislator boxes. Cause that's the kind of thing I do. Cause piss them off. <laughs> We did that with unintended consequences. We had 90 copies of unintended consequences written in every legislator's mailbox. Na, 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 na. Did they read it? Don't care. Don't freaking care. You know? Don't care. It's just, a, did they see it? Don't care. Did they look at the cover? Ha, 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 So this is, you know, I, I'm telling you, man, I get back, but I got to focus. I got to focus. I got to focus. I got to focus on, you know, building the house thing. But in the meantime, while we're getting a lot of, I got like a month before Christmas of being able to actually do some activism, you know, while I'm piddling around with, you know, paperwork and uh, finalizing land purchase and all that other stuff. But um, so this is, I, I, I can see that everybody is going to see what's going on. They're going to be looking for this kind of, um, an understanding, an explanation of rationalized in their own minds what happened. Because it always, what really stuck in my mind was the final scene in uh, Grapes of Wrath. You ever seen the old black and white Jimmy Stewart or Gary Cooper or whatever it was, Grapes of Wrath movie, you know? Forever ago, yeah. At the end, after all the stuff was happening and they had the FDR comes with the work programs and they're, you know, traveling in their Model T's across the Dust Bowl of and, you know, that kind of crap. All this stuff is, you know, government, you know, didn't work, did work doing what they're doing, whatever. At the very end, you know, the head guy goes, the head actor, he goes, you know, what happened? You know, what? how did this, 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 this happen? I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Boom. End of movie. Well, that's what's going to happen now. The Grapes of Wrath, it was the same thing. How the heck did all this happen? I don't know. We're going to find out Jones Plantation. You know, you just, so it's time is coming and it was, it's good enough. It's fun enough. It's clear enough that it can be used to get enough information in the mother-in-law's minds that they get it. And I'll end with this. I just started the book, uh, Red Famine. It was about Stalin's war on the Ukrainian people, you know, them, you know, being starved to death. And Donna and her uh, family is from Ukraine, you know, the, her grandfather, great grandfather, they're Ukrainian. So they had my mother in law, which we just visited in Pennsylvania on her way here. She, uh, Donna got her that book and she read it because she had a Ukrainian background and so on. Well, she remembers hearing these stories from her grandparents and stuff that lived through it. And they are, you know, kind of, yeah, and this happened, this happened, and this happened. She's like, yeah, that's just stories. When she read this book, she's like, oh, my God. She understood it where I've been screaming. I go, Mom, it's going to be a food thing. It's going to be a, it's always a food thing. With that, you know, from son-in-law Ernie bashing it, you know, all the extended family and everything, food thing. What do you think? Food thing. Food. When it's a food thing, then you'll know it's a food thing because it's always a food thing. Well, then she read this book. And she's like, she was dumbfounded. She's 90 years old. She was just like, whoa, 
what the heck? All of a sudden, son-in-law not as crazy. He keeps getting less crazy as years go by. So now I took the book. She finished it, and I just started it. I'm going, okay, let me see what's up. I'm going to scream this about food thing. You might learn how they're going to do it. Well, you know how they're going to do it because they can do it. They'll regulate, prevent, you know, uh, uh, blow up. I mean, whatever the hell they got to do. It's all about control, and the food is the best way to do it. Here it comes. Get off the plantation and get the plantation out of your thinking. It's this. We are our own enslavers. So stop and read Larkin Rose. Larkin, where do they get, you know, uh, uh, how they can hook up with Larkin and all things Larkin? Where do they go? Well, first of all, go watch the movie at jonesplantationfilm.com. And then on YouTube, I have about... 8 million videos. Amazingly, I haven't been banned on YouTube yet. They've taken a couple things down <laughs> that are disappeared into the memory hole. Um, but I still have a bunch of stuff Damn on it, YouTube. Those are the ones and, I, I have, <laughs> and then I have uh, the rosechannel.com that has like a million uh, audio recordings and a whole bunch of stuff there. And that has my Candles in the Dark um, course, and then a thing called Making Anarchy Mainstream. So there's a whole bunch of stuff there. That's the rosechannel.com. Um, but Is it I the rosechannel.com? Yep. Okay. Yep, that's the one. And I really wish that, like, a lot of people in the freedom movement are very focused on learning because they're, they're intellectuals and they like philosophizing and learning about stuff. And they're antisocial weirdos like me who their first tendency is not to go talk to other people. But if you don't make yourself to one degree or another, push these ideas in a way that actually gets other people to think about it, then you can just be, you know, you can be sitting in your living room knowing how right you are when the tanks roll in, or you can make enough other people figure out that, yeah, it turns out those weirdo voluntarists were right and that government is not our friend and never was and never will be. And society needs to be something fundamentally different. And what we need is the, the mentality of, of humanity to change. And now we have lots of tools for doing that. But those of us already aware of it, we have to use them and get them out there. Which is why I think the they're, they them those are desperate. I think they're starting to see yeah. it happening. I think their timeline right. is like, yeah, man, we got we're we're losing this thing. And I'm going, yes, you are. And Arizona's yep. a really good example because it's just general public opinion is where we spent our time. We didn't compromise for more votes or money or promises of or anything. It was hardcore advocacy of Larkin Rose style, no compromise stuff. And it had, and we got a lot of inspiration from guys like L. Neil Smith, which is a science fiction writer that advocated the, a lot of the same style that like Larkin did. And then, of course, we all came into our own doing this. And it made a big difference. Maybe not with the government, because they come in and they wanted to seed and make sure they take over Democrat and Napolitano and Arpaio and, you know, Katie Hobbs. But that's just more example of freaking election fraud and manipulation and everything, which we knew. So we ignored it. We don't give a crap. Well, the totals you only got, don't care. Don't care. Because don't care. Doesn't matter. Don't care. General public opinion. We're going to all the people that aren't voting anymore. You know, we got, which is over half anyway. So screw you. Well, that changes an entire state, region, nation, world. 
And Larkin Rose, big part of that. Larkin, thanks very much. And tell, you know, Andrew uh, Treglia, is that how you say his name, Treglia? Yep. You know, tell Andrew, awesome job. All the actors. I mean, every one of them. You know, did just such a good job. Just Well, that's an Andrew thing. I, I'm just really proud to recommend this movie because it's it's not light, but, you know, it is fun. You're learning something the whole time. And it is drumhead tight. It is tight. Man, it's boom, 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 boom. You're not wasting any amount of time. It goes by quickly, and you get learnified. So I'm, I'm good luck on it, and I'm hoping your campaign keeps going. I'm, I'm hoping enough that you just put out for crowdsourcing that I would promote the crap out of is for the next movie. <laughs> well, we have several like in our minds rattling around already, but. Part, part of whether that happens is whether people support this one. So, Well, I think that you got a good enough on this one that if you put up a crowdsourcing thing like they did with Iron Sky 2, you know, that 35, I think paid 35, 45 bucks for a couple of years from then. I was the promise I was going to get me, you know, a Blu-ray DVD. That was it. Okay. You know, I'm down for that. You know, so, you know, what do you think? I don't know. I don't know, but damn, you got a good resume, you know, tick on this one. So, you know, you got something else, rock and roll and whatnot. So here we go. Man, thanks for coming on. This was awesome. I'm glad we got a chance to promote this, and I'm glad I'm on my way back to Arizona IA. But it's going to be, I'm, you know, I'm a hit and run kind of thing. We're going to slam it as a Christmas thing, and then boom, just leave me alone, which they're not. So then I got to come back and slap them around some more. But – you know, I'm definitely using a lot of your stuff as tools. Thank you. So we'll see you soon. We'll be hooking up early November. So it be good to see you, man. Yeah, we'll see you in Sedona. Yeah. All right. Peace, brother. Bye, guys. The Gulf War, smart bomb falling down the chimney, 2,500 missions a day, 100 days. One video of one bomb, Mr. Moss. The American people bought that war. Mm-hmm. War is show business. That's why we're here. They got to know at some point. Who? The, the, the public. Dan, get with it. We want you to produce. You want me to produce your war? Not a war. It's a pageant. We need a theme, a song, some visuals. We need, you know, it's a pageant. It's a, it's, it's a pageant. It's a pageant. That's what it is. Country's a war. A change, it had to come. We knew it all along. We were living. to the free state and you're looking for some real estate well i know a guy who's really great it's the realtor mark warden now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in new hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime our friends at porcupine real estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by new hampshire citizens reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com